Thank you for joining us on Breakfast with Champions, an opportunity for you to get a seat at the table. We have many champions in the room this morning, starting with Bill Hauser, the marketing magician, Hannah Eve, Brielle, Alpha Six, and many more. Glenn Lundy believes that if you can change the way people start their day, it'll make a massive impact in their life. So pull up a seat and let's join in on Breakfast with Champions. What up? Let's unmute, baby. Hey. Hey, better be coming from the diaphragm, guys. Right from the diaphragm. Let's go. We got to eliminate the uh, the tightness. You know what I mean? So we're going to talk about the persuasion delegation success spiral today so i'm excited about this because um i'm going to start with an example and i want to relate this to wherever you're at in your life right now and i want to use plumbing as an example because it's such a simple business model so in any business or any any you know industry you can, you can look at plumbing as a perfect example and compare it to your industry in terms of how you want to grow and who you want to be. So let's think through plumbing for a quick example. You'll see where I'm going. I know this sounds crazy, but hear me out. You can be a plumber. You can be a manager of a team within a plumbing company. Or you can own a plumbing company. Okay. I had someone on my show yesterday. His name's Craig Goldenfarb. This guy, I don't know, probably pockets like $30 million a year. Um, he runs one of the most successful personal injury law firms in uh, Florida. Very competitive market for personal injury lawyers. And he, he explained this to me yesterday, and that's why I'm going to hit on this for you. Apply this to your to your life, to your business, to whatever success is for you. Do you want to be the plumber, the, the actual person fixing people's sinks, fixing whatever's clogged in a house? Do you want to be a manager of a team within a plumbing company? Or do you want to own a plumbing company? Right? It's such a simple business model. And most of us aren't plumbers, so when we explain an example like this, it's a lot easier to detach from it and to say which one of these three you want to be. Now, there's no problem if you want to be the plumber. Just own it. Just say, I want to be the best plumber ever. Right? It's no problem if you just want to manage a team within a plumbing company there's no problem. Just own that. Right? It's also no problem if you want to be the owner of a plumbing company. So you got to ask yourself and analyze, like, and you'll see where I'm going with the persuasion delegation success spiral. You see where I'm going with this in just a second. Literally just thought of this this morning. So this is the first time I've ever talked about this. It's been going around in my brain for years now, and I finally put words on it this morning. But think to yourself, in your, whatever you're doing for work, 
Are you the plumber? Or are you the owner of the plumbing company? Because I'll tell you this, the owner of a franchise of a McDonald's or a fitness studio franchise owner, they're usually not going to be the one. If it's a successful franchise or a successful business, they're not going to be the one doing the, the work. They're going to be the one owning the company through which organizes people that do the work. Right? This is why some people see massive success when they go into businesses they have no experience around. Because we, our deepest skills can become our deepest ruts. If we're good at something, it's a lot harder to give it up. It's a lot harder to delegate something you're excellent at. Now keep in mind, Michael Jordan, he was not the owner of the Chicago Bulls. He decided to be, in this example, the best plumber ever. He didn't own the team, though. Now, what did Michael Jordan do? He leveraged his personal brand and his net income. He invested his money smart. And actually, he was the owner of his own life at the end of the day with the shoe deals he locked in, and he became a billionaire. Right? So again, it's okay to be the quote-unquote athlete. It's okay to be the performer if there's a bigger picture in play. So if you work for another company, that's cool. If it fits into your bigger picture, that's all that matters. Right? So we got we to gotta be painfully clear about these things. There's six levels of delegation I want to walk you through. And when I learned these, they changed my life. The definition of delegation is the assignment of authority to another person. Okay? To carry out specific activities. I'll say that again. The assignment of authority to another person to carry out specific activities, okay? Delegation is essentially where you grow in your life. So the plumber who's really good at plumbing one day decides, man, I'm getting really tired doing this plumbing gig. <sighs> I should probably document the way I do plumbing so I can train someone else on it, right? Then he has one helper, this plumber. Right now he has two people and he goes, well, looks like I was actually able to train this person to get to at least 80% of the way, 80% as good as me doing it on my own. Maybe I could train someone else. But then he goes, crap, I don't have enough leads coming in for my business to, to fund a third team member. So I got to increase marketing. I got to increase my outflow. I got to increase my persuasion. This is the persuasion delegation success spiral. I got to increase my persuasion in the marketplace to become more desired as a plumber so that I can have more demand, so that I can have more revenue, so that I can hire someone else to expand my team. Let me get some mic, mic flashes if this is making sense to you. Trying to make sure I'm not talking uh, talking crazy right now. Okay, good, 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 good. All right. So at this point, the plumber goes, okay, great. I've turned up marketing. I've become more 
known in my marketplace as the plumber. Now I can go use the same training process I used on my first team member and I can go and hire a second plumber, okay? At this point, the owner goes, man, now that I have two people, I don't really have to do the plumbing anymore, right? And this person goes, hmm, maybe I should start working on the way we do plumbing, right? Maybe I should start thinking through, hmm, how are we delivering excellent plumbing services to our clients? So these two plumbers are working, he has leads coming in, he's setting them up on appointments, he starts improving his systems. As he does that, he's putting out fires in this plumbing company, right? He's dealing with client problems, customer problems, blah, 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 blah. So he feels like, ah, I can't really work on the system because I'm dealing with all this admin stuff, administrative stuff. I need to go hire someone. I need to hire someone to help me on the administrative side of my business so that I cannot do the paperwork and I can focus on the bigger picture. He looks back at his bank account and asks, do I have enough revenue coming in to be able to expand my team? Right? So again, he goes and looks at how he's marketing his plumbing company and he goes, hmm, maybe I need to market this plumbing company a little bit more so I can have more, even more revenue, so I can hire a third employee. This employee will help me with admin, right? My other two employees will help me with the actual plumbing work, okay? Now, at this point, the business owner is focused exclusively on marketing and sales, okay? This business owner in this example, he's now delegated, he's delegated administrative work He's delegated um, the plumbing work, right? And now he's able to spend more time on marketing and sales to expand his plumbing company, right? So at this point is where the first identity crisis will happen for him. He will start feeling like, ah, oh, man, I had all these skills as a plumber, I had all these skills, and gosh, I've given up all the things I'm good at. <laughs> you know, I've, I've hired for my greatest skills. And there's going to be a feeling of emptiness. So at this point in time, in the persuasion delegation success spiral, this business owner has a choice. Ah oh, man, I should just go roll up the sleeves and go back to what I, you know, go back to what I do best. Or the person decides I'm going to stick through this emotion and I'm going to learn how to organize a business. I'm going to learn how to bite my tongue and discipline myself to not go backwards in my business. No matter what I convince myself of, he says to himself, no matter what I convince myself of, oh, it's more profitable if I keep the team small, there's less overhead, we'll go back to the old way we did things, less headache. Instead of those thoughts coming in, he shields them out and he goes, you know what? No, 
I'm going to accomplish the goal I set out to, even if I have to give up the things I'm great at. Last week, we talked about something Glenn and I kind of hit on at the end, this shocking concept that when companies are valued by private equity companies, like if, if you ever were to get someone to invest in a company, like a private equity company or whatever, the first thing they're going to look at is where is this business owner dependent? Where is this business dependent, dependent on the owner? And that is usually going to be the lowest contributor to their valuation of selling a business. Meaning if the business is heavily dependent on the owner, that business is going to get a lower payout in a potential acquisition. Hence, the point I said last week was, if you want to see the weak spots of a business, look at the strengths of the owner. I'll say that again. You want to see where your business is weak. Just look at the strengths of the owner of the business, and that's usually going to be where they have less resources because they've convinced themselves that they're the only person who can do this task. Hey, champions, guess what? The Breakfast with Champions podcast airs live every single day, 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. only on the Clubhouse app. So make sure to download Clubhouse and go check out Breakfast with Champions. You're not going to regret it. See you there. Right? So at this point, this plumber has an identity crisis. Now, what's fascinating here, if you look at the statistics on how people grow businesses, you'll very quickly realize most people choose path A, not path B. Path A being, uh, you know what? It's a little too complex here with four team members, three team members, you know, one helper. Uh, let's stop here. Now, you can articulate your way into that reality till the cows come home, right? You can, oh, profit margin. The, the facts are the facts are the facts are the facts. I think it's like 60% of businesses break even or lose money. I think it's 80% of entrepreneurs who start a business make less money when all is said and done in net profit than they did in the job they quit before starting their own business. And then there's the 20% of businesses who decide to go to that next level. And then there's the 1% of businesses that decide to dominate their entire field and industry. Right? Where do you want to be? So in this example, this business owner who now has four team members says, I'm going to bite my tongue. I will not go backwards to doing what I did last year and the year before. I will not go backwards. So he starts thinking and he draws out a future, what's called a future organizational chart. It's essentially a diagram for how his company is going to look, how, how, is, how are his teams going to be structured in the future. Right, so we start sketching out. Well, I could have a, I could have someone lead our sales function because I'm spending a lot of time now on marketing and sales. 
right? So I could maybe give up the sales function one-on-one and I could focus more on big marketing initiatives or PR and press. Okay, so sketch this out. Okay, well, I could have someone lead this function in the next six months. Hmm. And my, whoever, I, you know, the person I hired for admin is doing really well. Maybe, maybe we could put him or her in this position and they could lead, you know, operations, right? And you start thinking to yourself, how will this business look like in three years? How will this business feel, smell? What will be the visceral experience of this business in three years from today? Right? And because that picture is clear, he then can more confidently expand his team. Right? Now, at this point, most people don't have such a crystal clear picture of the future that they tiptoe and dabble around because in their head, there's a black hole. Going from four team members to 40, that's like 10 black holes in a row for most people. But because we don't identify that black hole and embrace it, we accept it as, ah, it's going to be too complex. Ah, it's going to be too much work. Ah, I'm comfortable where I'm at. Right? So it's really important that anywhere you feel stress, anywhere that you feel like you're flatlining, you're not growing in your life, to ask yourself, what am I holding on to so tight that I can't give this thing up. I can't get any help in this area. So let's go back through the six levels of delegation. Okay. Six levels of delegation. Again, delegation is the assignment of authority to another person to carry out specific activities. Okay. It's the process of distributing and entrusting work to another person. Okay. All movements require delegation. Delegation of authority in your family is what builds the self-confidence of your family. Right? Do people in your family own specific outcomes for your family? Is someone in charge of the yard? Is someone in charge of making sure that healthy foods are proactively ordered and delivered to the family, right? Are there clear roles and responsibilities? Or is it all random, like, oh, you going to the grocery store this Sunday? Oh, you going here? You may think that that's the way to run a family, but it actually is gambling with your family's health because you haven't clearly delegated authority in your family. If you're not staying consistent in your health, right? Who did you need to delegate responsibility to someone? This is free, guys. You don't need money to delegate. You need to text someone and say, "Hey, I want you to text me every single Monday, Wednesday, Friday to make sure I'm up at this time and I get to the gym." Hello, that's free. That's delegation. You have delegated authority to someone else, and hey, maybe in exchange they'll ask for you to hold them accountable for something. 
That's free. Okay, it's free to sit down your family and have a conversation about, hey, I want to run this family like a business. I want us to have clear responsibilities. I want us to be able to bank on each other for certain things. Who's going to be in charge of this? Who's going to be in charge of that? Who's going to be in charge of this? That's free, guys. So let's talk about the six levels of delegation. All right, so the first level of delegation is absolutely powerful, okay? Because it's a start. <laughs> and it's the lowest level of delegation. Here's what it is. Do as I say. That's the first level of delegation. Do as I say. Here is the task. Do as I say. Okay? Now, the level of trust on a level one delegation, where you're just like, do what I say, here's the deadline, is very, very low. It, for you to have to give someone a specific task, it is an indication that there is a trust problem either within yourself or with the party that you are giving that task to. Okay, so that's the first level of delegation, the lowest level of delegation. And it's a start. Delegation is not a light switch. It's not black or white. It is a continuum. Okay? So do as I say. Okay? The next level of delegation, level two, is look into this for me. You're taking notes. Second level of delegation is look into this for me. Okay? So this would be like, the example would be, hey, um, not sticking through with my workouts. Can you look into this for me? Can you look into ways that I can stay consistent with my workouts? Someone would come back to you and they would say, um, well, I, I looked at the top three reasons. Here's the report I found. Here's the thing. It looks like you're probably not waking up early enough and you're probably not serious about this being in your morning routine. Okay, I'm using exercise as an example, but this can be applied to anything. It can be applied to your business. Our leads, uh, our leads in our business are going down. Can you look into this for me? Right? That's the second level of delegation. Again, that's a low level of trust. Lower. Okay. Third level of delegation. Look into this for me. Give me your advice and I'll decide. That's the third level of delegation. Look into, look into this for me. Give me your advice. I'll decide. Okay. So in this third level of delegation, you're asking the person for advice on what they think you should do to delegate whatever it is you're gonna delegate, right? Okay, so that's the third level of delegation. We're getting higher up on the trust scale at this point, okay? So that would be, hey, I'm not sticking through with my workouts. Could you look into this for me and give me a proposed action plan based on your research? I'll still be the final decision maker but I want your opinion, I want your advice. Okay? 
So now we're at the middle, the middle area of trust because we're at level three of six in the delegation scale. Let's go to level four. Level four delegation. Explore, decide, and check back with me. This is where it starts getting scary. Okay. This is level four delegation where you've actually delegated authority. Remember, the definition of delegation is authority, right? You've given someone authority to make a decision. So this is where we actually get into delegation. Okay? So this would be telling your kid, hey, our yard doesn't look too good. I'd love for you to look into why this is. Why wasn't the grass cut? I'd like you to decide our action plan on it. I'd like you to start on that decision and then just check back with me after you've made that decision. Okay, so now we're getting higher on the trust scale. Level four of six. Explore, decide, and check back with me. Okay. Level five delegation. Okay, here it is. Explore, and decide within these limits. You don't have to check in with me at level five, okay? But I'm gonna give you parameters, rules, right? That you can make this decision within. For example, a marketing plan. Okay, if, you, if you're delegating to someone on your team to do a marketing plan as a, you know, as a company, you can say, here's the budget, here are the platforms we want to be on, here's a, an approximate estimate of where I'd like our budgets to be split across these platforms, here's how long I'd like the campaign to last, done. Go. You don't have to check back with me, explore and decide, but keep it within these limits. Okay, so that's level five of six on the delegation scale. Again, we're in the scary territory because we're at a five out of six on the trust scale. And then there's level six. Level six delegation looks like this. Here's the outcome, get it done. Now, what's really interesting is level six delegation is outcome-based. Level one delegation, now notice this, the first level of delegation is almost identical to the sixth level of delegation. Right? It's almost identical. The level one delegation, the lowest level of trust is here's a task, do as I say. Level six delegation, the highest level of delegation, is here is the outcome we want. Go get it done. So all we're doing is we're shifting one word in our minds we're from delegating a task. Hey, send an email to this person. That's level one delegation. All we're doing here is we are switching are words from a task to an outcome. Let me get some mic flashes if this is making sense. 
Okay, good, 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 good. We're awake. Hallelujah, we're awake. Right? So it's scary, though. Right? It's very scary because at, at the level six delegation, we are completely outsourcing our results. Right? Now, most relationships don't start at level six delegation, right? So this is where business owners, as they, as they grow and people who want to grow in their, in their lives and business, this is where a mistake is made is we, we notice this with marketing companies, especially like when businesses hire marketing companies, they immediately jump to level six delegation. I'd like to get this many leads per month. Uh, I'll pay you money. They know nothing about the marketing company. They don't know about the strategy that's going to be implemented. They're not giving clear enough parameters. They haven't earned trust with the person, yet they're jumping right to what's called abdication. This is a very important point. Anything you abdicate in your business will suffer. Okay? There's a very big difference between abdication and delegation. Okay, abdication is, I don't care about it, get it done. It's a lack of care and attention that causes abdication. Delegation is, I care so deeply about this outcome. I'm paying attention to it every day. And because I trust you so much, I want to hand this outcome, this project to you. Do you see the shift in words there? This is a belief shift. Abdication is you going, eh, I'm not really good at marketing. You figure it out for me. I'm, I'm busy. Eh, I don't really care about it. You, you figure it out for me. How do you think the person you're delegating that task to is going to feel important or not important? Right? Delegation is extreme care and extreme attention. I care deeply about this. Right? I use Glenn as an, as an example every week. Glenn is not the one who runs everyone's speaking slots for Breakfast of Champions. He, he, he's not the one speaking, I should say, for six hours a day. He cares deeply, though. He pays attention. We know it. Right? There's one, one little hiccup. It's like, boom, 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 boom. Hey, hey, hey. Right? Course corrections. Fast. High attention, high care. So he's built a team. He's not paying any of us. He built a team because his care and his attention towards his movement exceeded whatever the heck else we had going on in our mornings. <laughs> and rightfully so. And he's impacting people positively. Right? So some of you need to re, and myself included, I'm talking to myself partially here because um, we all have areas we can improve on. And I'm talking to you partially as well because there's a part 
of all of our lives that we've abandoned. Right? Just look at the books you're reading, right? If you're just reading books on one topic, and you're wondering why your health is suffering, when's the last time you read a book on health? We have to balance our education to balance our attention and care. Are we, read, are we spending one-fourth of the time reading health books, one-fourth of the time reading books on career and wealth, one-fourth of the time reading books on relationships, and one-fourth of the time reading books on spirituality? Faith. Right? Now, I know there's bleed over in these areas, but the point is, is your attention dispersed across the areas that are important to you. This applies to business and your life. Right? Care and attention. So let's go back to the original concept, which is the persuasion, delegation, success spiral. Right? We come back to this plumber who has four team members. Right? He learns about the six levels of delegation. He realizes that the people he hired were just doing level one delegations for him. He had given them exact tasks on how to do plumbing in a house, and that's all they were doing. So he becomes aware of the fact that he can give them more responsibility. And he starts going to his lead plumber. He goes, hey, I know that you're doing plumbing for our clients, but could you report back to me? how you think we could improve our plumbing experience for clients. The guy goes, hmm, interesting, yeah. Yeah, could you get that to me by this Friday? I'd be really interested to hear your advice. That's level three delegation. Okay. So the plumber now feels so empowered. Wow, the owner of the plumbing company wants to hear my input. Man, I've been in the field doing work for his company for three years, and I thought I was just a number, just doing the task that he had told us to do. Now he wants my opinion. Okay? The guy comes back on Friday, this plumber, right, that works for the plumbing company owner, and uh, the report isn't that good. Right? It's not that good. He didn't do much research. He didn't really fully articulate his advice. Okay? So then the owner goes, hmm, I'm going to try this with the other plumber who's a little bit more quiet. He wasn't my first choice of who to do this project, but let's see what he comes back with. And the other plumber comes back the next Friday, and it's this all-encompassing report with the best recommendation ever without the person without the owner needing to micromanage, okay? So my question to you is this, who, which of these two people is the owner more likely to move up that delegation scale? The first or second guy, right? It's clear, it's the second guy, right? The second, second. guy, he went above and beyond, I agree, right? He, he went above and beyond, so? At this point, the owner goes, okay, cool. I'm, I really trust this, the, this project. Hmm. 
I could probably go to level four delegation with this person. Now, a lot of this happens subconsciously. We just haven't labeled it, right? This is trust. This is a codified six level relationship of trust. Right? And if we, but here's the key. If we don't start somewhere by delegating something, we'll never learn the capabilities of those around us. This is leadership. Now, if you're delegating and the people you're delegating to are resentful towards you because you're being too much of a dictator, that's on you. You should read a leadership book like John Maxwell's book on leadership. Because you're probably not being a level five leader. You're probably not being an appreciation addict, as Ed Milet said on my show a few weeks ago. That's on you most of the time. Now, if you fix your attitude and you go and do some work and the person's still resentful, okay, that could be on them. What's one of the biggest barriers to growth in your life is defensiveness. I'm sure if there was like a test for me to measure which businesses stay small versus the businesses that go big, the humility scale of the businesses that go big is going to be dramatically higher. Like they said in the book, Good to Great by Jim Collins, it's a balance of unwavering commitment balanced with humility that makes a great leader. Jack came forward has increased its sales by over 136%. My name is Travis Flaherty. We have seen over 55% increase in sales. Jeremy Downing here. We finished our month off at not even a 20% increase, but a 30% increase. Hey guys, Jean Paul Guidry here. And I've experienced massive increases of 156%, collectively 125%. My name is Kevin Strasnatter. We went an increase of 50%. 50%. We went from 50 units to 75 units. We got a 39% growth in volume. This stuff works! I'm Glenn Lundy, creator of the 800% Club. The results that we've been getting out of the 800% Club are ridiculous. Everything that you just heard all happened in the first 90 days. So I want to open this up, helping more dealers across the country. We're now enrolling for 800% Club members. So look, the time is now. It's time for you to protect your legacy. Head on over to 800EliteAutomotiveClub.com to learn more. Statistically, if you are an introvert, you are more likely to be a billionaire. Statistically. There's plenty of extroverted billionaires. You are statistically more likely, though, to be a billionaire if you're an introvert. Why? Because you let other people shine. You listen. You don't need to be the center of attention. So I want everyone to write this down if you're taking notes. Decentralized command. Decentralized command. Right? 
We talk about this in the military. Right? There needs to be someone in charge of the ground fleet. There needs to be someone in charge of tactical strategy for when you're at war. Decentralized command is how speed can occur in your life. If you can't trust the people around you, you have to look at two things. My trust problems first. What are my problems with trust? And then second, and only after you've looked at yourself, then you're gonna look at, okay, I've an analyzed my trust problems. I'm still feeling a lack of trust with this person. The next step there is not to criticize, to have a hard conversation and to express exactly what you just said to yourself, to them. I want to express to you that here's what's going on. Like, here's how I'm feeling. Okay, write this down too. This is how conflict resolution, this is the best phrase in contract conflict resolution. When you did X, I felt Y. When you did X, I felt Y. When you were, when you came in late to work, okay, I felt disappointed. Instead of, you're always late, stupid. Right, that's what the animal brain wants to say. The third, after you've had that conversation with someone and used patience and time, eventually you gotta make a hard call. And say, why am I still feeling this way? I've had the conversation with the person, I've looked in the mirror, and gosh, this still isn't feeling right. Then you gotta make a hard decision. Either you have to move this person to another role, or you gotta, part ways, right? I'm talking more specifically in business in this context. Um, the, the, the concept here though is, is so vitally important. And we just went through this in our company, um, which I find really fascinating. If you ever look at your company at the areas in which it's not growing, there's usually a person behind the, that non, the non-growth. I call it a growth stopper, right? If a portion of your life or business is stopped growing, there's a growth stopper there. And you must run towards the growth stopper, confront the growth stopper and get on the same page with that growth stopper. We just had hard conversations this last week with a couple of our team members, and we found one of them didn't wanna grow. We had a one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, one of my team members held a one-on-one -on -one with this person, and our goal is to 2X our year-over-year -year revenues for 10 years. And you know, we've done that three years in a row now, and yet the department associated with this person stop growing. And lo and behold, after eight months of this department flatlining in our company, 
which to us, eight months of flatlining is catastrophic. Um, we found, well, the person most in charge of this function of the business didn't want to grow. They had capped out. They, they did not want to manage increased complexity. And gosh, am I happy we figured it out now. So we amicably parted ways last week. But what if I what if I let go of someone and I don't have a backup? Let go of someone or part ways. In this case, it was quite mutual. But you sometimes have to make the decision even when it's not mutual. Right? Call it a breakup, call it firing, whatever you want to call it. You must eliminate growth stoppers or put them into a role where they don't need to grow. It's unfortunate, it's sad, but if there is any area in your life where it's like, gosh, man, it's like grinding gears, grinding gears to see progress in this area. There's a who behind that usually. The who could be you. That's the scary part. You don't believe you can grow. You don't believe, we call these set points. Everyone has a financial set point. Everyone has a health set point. Everyone has a business set point. Relationship set point. We have these stories that go through our head that makes sense of this is this is it for me my health hasn't improved because that's who i am my it's my um metabolism ah that's the story i guarantee there's someone with your metabolism that's gotten into the shape that you want to get into right You've made sense of, ah, I'm just not, I'm not the entrepreneurial type. So whatever, I'm just, I'll just stick where I'm at. I'll tell you this much. If, if Colonel Sanders can go through his whole life not being an entrepreneur and then start KFC at past age 60, that, that's, called, that's, that's called awakening the sleeping giant. Colonel Sanders was an entrepreneur that convinced himself he wasn't for 60 years. We restrict who we are as kids. We restrict the animal inside. The most successful people do not apologize for who they are. Okay, you want to know how it was being on a team with Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant? I'm in Tim Grover's Relentless course. <laughs> he gives all these stories and examples of, <laughs> you know, how shameless Kobe and Michael Jordan were when it came to setting high standards for their basketball teams. They didn't apologize. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm being hard on crack. You know, people would say, you know, just show up. 
just just show up to practice. You know, just showing up's eighty percent of jobs. Jordan and Kobe would look at the people that said that and go, "What? Welcome to beginners club. You cannot just show up to the gym and be the world's greatest. It's what happens after you show up." They were insatiably, insatiably high standards people. They didn't apologize for it. Why are you apologizing? Stop apologizing. Be you. Be your unleashed self. Let go. Build a team around your deficiencies. It doesn't take money, guys. It takes courage. Okay, Glenn did not pay us. Keep this in mind, guys. There's like 30 plus moderators on this panel for Breakfast of Champions. Okay, We were attracted to the mission that Glenn had set. He did not pay a penny. So what are you waiting for? I'll tie this together with the persuasion side of the persuasion delegation balance. All this delegating sounds great. You know, building a team, you know, uh, you know, all, you know, paying salaries, expanding, building a business. And I've been there. I went from zero to 20 full-time team members in three years my, in my first business, and which I'm still running now. And we are going to 40 team members this year. I'm telling you, it's possible. I just had the courage to actually do it, to actually hire. We hired 38 people over the last or 34 people over the last three years, 34 people we hired. 14 of them are no longer with the company. 80% of those 14 were let go from the company by myself because they didn't reach our standards. And we went through this process of building trust and repeatedly having trust broken and cutting the cord so that they can be free to find their purpose. But if you don't have the persuasion side down, guys, it's a lot harder to delegate. True or false? If you don't, if you can't attract an audience, if you can't be inspirational, if you can't have a purpose, a mission, as Grant Cardone says, sometimes when you're an introvert, sometimes you have to extrovert as a verb, not a noun. Sometimes you have to extrovert strategically during portions of your week, month, quarter, year. Sometimes you got to extrovert. You got to go out on a limb, tap, you know, reach out to people and make you uncomfortable. But if you don't have the persuasion side down, whether it's in your business or your life, if you can't inspire people on the vision, the big picture, where you're going in your life, whether it's your family, whether it's your business, whatever it is, if you can't articulate and, it, and it excite others to join that path with you, it's a lot harder to get people to join the journey with you. You got to ask yourself, how can I how can I create a success spiral in my life by becoming more persuasive and delegating more and more? More persuasive in my business. More people know who I am. More people want to buy from me. More people are reaching out for me to consult them. More people are 
More people want to work with me in business, in your family. How can you become more persuasive? Here are the standards we want for this family, okay? We don't want you showing up late for this. You don't want to show up late for this. Your family does not want to be non-prompt, okay? Remember, awaken the sleeping giant. Awaken the sleeping giant and those around you. You're afraid to set high standards for the people around you because you're, you're worried that people are going to get angry at high standards. Yeah, C players, A, B, C, C players will get angry. A players, they won't go anywhere that has low standards. Talk about this in the interviewing world. The harder you interview someone, if they're an A player, the more likely they're going to, at the end of that interview, go, dang, I want to work for that company. That was the hardest interview ever. Man, that is awesome. Your C players are going to cower up because they don't want to be held accountable. A players, they run towards accountability. Show me the accountability. I remember this. When I became, when I was working at a, a $3 billion company, my first job, I, I became the top sales rep out of 3,000 and had no experience. And my sales team would literally scream at me because during our sales meetings, I'd be like, oh man, you know, at 10, at 10 a.m., I know we're supposed to make 100 calls before, before 12. Man, I'm slacking. You know, I got 90, 92. Like, could someone, could, is there a way that the managers could check in with everyone and just proactively say, hey, did you make 100 before noon? My whole sales team was like, oh, Bill again. Dang. Why can't we just slip under the radar? I, I, I wanted the accountability. Right? Run towards accountability. You get what you tolerate in your family, your business, your life. You get what you tolerate. And sometimes a hard reset is required. What's a hard reset? I don't tolerate this anymore. I'm done. That's a hard reset. If you study businesses that are successful, most of them have a hard reset moment where things start slipping out of control and someone, someone's got to put their foot down and say, this is how it's going to be done. You can get on the bus or you can get off the bus. These are the standards we're capable of as a team. You know it, I know it. You have a tremendous opportunity to reinvent your dealership today, right now, and to not take advantage of it would mean that everything that you just went through and are going through was in vain. How about instead we build something new like Kevin did in Virginia who was up 37% in April, or Mike in Wyoming who was up 90% in April, or Bob in Kentucky who broke a 60-year record this past January. All of these dealers join the 800% Club and together we continue to win. Listen, I've done this before. I've helped build a monster dealership from the inside out and now I want to build one with you. You and your team deserve it. So look, the time is now. It's time for you to protect your legacy. Head on over to 800EliteAutomotiveClub.com to learn more. 
percent of your team is going to go, heck yeah. You're right. I've been going to bed at night knowing we're leaving stuff on the table. Finally, someone spoke up. And that level of care needs to be equally dispersed across every part of your company. This is Breakfast with Champions, baby! All right, so I'm going to pass this over to Hannah Eve. This show happens from 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern time, Monday through Friday, and on Saturday as we go at 6, and on Sundays at the 111. Dang, every single day. Can you believe that? So the worst thing you could ever do is not show up again. We do this every single day to provide you value, put you on the right track in your life and business, share concepts and ideas. And I want you to make sure that you follow that house at the top uh, for Breakfast with Champions. Follow these amazing superhuman speakers and moderators up here because they are delivering value to you for free from the goodness of their hearts. Over to you, Hannah Eve. I am super excited to hear from Hannah Eve. Hi, guys. Good morning, Bill. That was amazing. Is anyone not hearing anything? Hannah, she got Hannah moved to the audience. Ah, that's, there it is. What was that? Someone someone probably was like viciously me trying out. to follow you. Yeah, so like. it's, a, it's a good thing. <laughs> um, okay, I'm just going to say what I said again because um, I don't know when it cut out. Um, hi, guys. Good morning. I, okay, I don't know if I'm like catching a cold or if I have really bad allergies, but I sound very nasally and I apologize for that. I kind of forgot that like cold still existed this year. I don't know if anyone else did. So I'm sitting here with tea. Because of that, I'm not gonna just like monologue for the whole hour because my throat is like killing. Um, so I thought that'd be a great opportunity to turn this into more of a conversation because um, I've been meaning to do that anyway. I basically interviewed my mom the past two weeks. Um, The two weeks before, I kind of monologued about imposter syndrome and then scarcity versus abundance. So I thought that this was a great time to open it up to more of a discussion here amongst the panelists. Um, But last week, um, I I read a little bit from, I read like a, a quote, a page from Super Attractor. I'm reading Super Attractor right now by Gabby Bernstein. Um, it's a book that's been recommended to me over and over and over. Um, and it's it's really crazy. I'm, I'm like, I, I've been reading it like page by page here and there. And every time that I pick it up, the the passage and the message seems to really, really apply to something that's going on in my life at that moment. So um, because of that, I, I'm kind of going to use that to guide our conversation today. Um, but with that said, I'll, I'll introduce myself in case you're new to me. Um, my name is Hannah. I own a marketing agency in downtown Chicago. We specialize in working with a lot of female-founded, female-focused businesses, and I also do a lot of coaching um, with with women entrepreneurs, um, I'm very passionate about mental health and positive body image and and all of the things. Um, and whenever I speak on Clubhouse, 
my my only goal is is to create um, spaces and conversations that make people feel heard and understood and happy and and good vibes only good vibes always um, so with that said um, basically I'm going to read a little bit like literally just like one thing from this book and then I would love to have a conversation about it and it's all about rejection um, and for, for context, um, I had a pretty large business opportunity yesterday. Um, and, and normally I am the most confident human being ever whenever it pertains to work, but I kind of got thrown off my game. And I was, still am, a little bit nervous about the outcome, which normally doesn't happen to me. Um, which is exciting, right? It just shows that I, I care and that's what happens when the opportunities are larger. But the, the timeliness of, of what I'm about to read to you um, was not lost on me. So, okay, this is from Gabby Bernstein, super attractor, and then I'd love to have a conversation all about this. I encourage you to open up to the idea that rejection is protection. Choosing this perspective will help you dissolve your fear of rejection. If you choose to see rejection as guidance, then what is there to fear? If you get turned down by someone you asked on a date, it's because someone better is on the way. If your offer on a house falls through, it's because that house wasn't for you. If you make it to the final round of interviews for what you've decided is your dream job and someone else gets the position, guess what? It wasn't your, G your dream job. Um, there's no reason for you to play small anymore. The universe has big plans for you and it's time to claim them. So um, I, I want to talk today about rejection and and whether it's you know in business in life and in in any capacity however it speaks to you i would love to hear from some of my friends up here on stage either how you've had rejection um how, how you've used it to fuel you and propel you forward um or you know more what i shared which is the perspective that um, some people will say rejection is protection rejection is redirection um so i would love to hear if there's anyone um, up here on stage that wants to kind of kick off this conversation. And my hope is that we can have a really interesting um, dialogue about it. So anyone feel free to chime in on the concept of rejection. Hey, Hannah. David! Hey, Hannah, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm doing great, thank you for asking. Good morning to you, good morning champions. Um, you know, I just happened to speak on this subject on the power of rejection and the power of adversity and the power of defeat uh, not too long ago. And it's really, it's an interesting one and, and it's 100% on point uh, what you're sharing with everybody because <clears throat> without rejection, I mean, a couple things I will say very quickly. Number one, if you're in sales, uh, whoever you're competing with in sales, whoever is rejected the most is who's going to ultimately win. And, and that's just the reality. And, you know, Grant Cardone talks oftentimes about 10x. Well, he talks about making 10 times more calls, 10 times more presentations. Well, don't forget that's going to also get you 10 times as many rejections. So you might think logically, well, if somebody's going to get 10 times as many rejections as I am, I'm going to win. That's actually counterintuitive. Uh, it's not true. Whoever gets the most rejections is going to lose. Second thing, without adversity, without rejection, Without defeat, there is no growth. And I was just sharing this with somebody yesterday 
on a coaching call. That the, the week that you go without rejection or defeat or adversity, you've had no growth. You know, when, I, when I'm snowboarding, if I spend the whole day on a mountain and I don't fall one time, I didn't learn anything new. I didn't push myself at all on that particular day. And, you know, so when it becomes, when it comes to defeat or rejection, it is fascinating that if we simply change our perspective with respect to adversity, if you don't have adversity, you don't have growth. And the thing that you'll learn about highly successful people, Bill was saying many times over the hours, successful people do this, successful people do that. Well, here's one thing for certain successful people do. You know, they don't avoid storms. They don't avoid the dark clouds. They don't avoid or tolerate or just try to uh, survive. They actually, as Brian Benstock was saying last Saturday, they actually turn into the storm. They go beyond that, Hannah. They look for storms. So they'll seek out storms. And the successful will actually at times create adversity. And as the great uh, Tim Grover says, pressure is a privilege. So you know, successful people understand if I put myself under pressure, if I seek out adversity, um, if I don't fear that and I turn into the storm, I'm actually availing myself to the next highest level of success. So it's, a, it's an incredibly important concept and a very key one for anybody who wants to move to the next level. This is David. I'm out. Yeah, David, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I heard Guy Raz um, talk about this, and um, I, I just wanted to make sure that I was speaking properly. So I did a quick Google search, and I'm reading from um, an, uh, an article from entrepreneur.com. Um, they, there was a study done in 2017 that found that nearly 15% of Fortune 500 CEOs got their start in sales. Say what you will about oftentimes incorrectly portrayed pushy salespeople along with a few other unique strengths, but their persistence is exactly what makes them successful. And I think that's that's really what you were speaking to. And I, I, that's interesting, right, Know, knowing you and, and, and your background as, as well. What, what do you attribute that to? Well, that's a, that's another one. I was speaking to a a client of mine last night at a work meeting, and you know she started a business uh, all by herself that now is ranked in the top sixty in the Inc. five hundred, um, and it's she's just grown this massive business. She's about to world, move into the World Trade Center, if you can imagine. That's how. how how bigger business has gotten. She's taken over a space from Condé Nast, I believe it is. Um, and one of the things we were speaking about, I, I said, isn't it interesting for those of us who went through tremendous adversity uh, as, as young children um, that had a very tough childhood, uh, a tough family environment, um, we are typically in my mind, much better prepared to handle the lessons of life and the adversity and defeats and the heartbreak and the heartaches that come inevitably as adults in your personal and professional life. If you think about it, if you've never experienced any adversity, if you're fortunate enough to grow up in the, in the Norman Rockwell, uh, you know, perfect type of a family environment, um, that's a blessing. On the front side, it's a blessing. 
to be sure. And there are many blessings from that that you could take forward in your life. But the one thing you did not get is learning how to deal with adversity. Now, I think that's one of the things that's the power of organized sports for young people, whether you have uh, boys or girls, whether you're a boy dad or girl dad or both. If you put them in organized sports, one of the benefits of organized sports is the losing, um, not just the winning. It's not hard for people to learn how to win. And there's a lot of people that don't really understand uh, well how to win. Whenever I watch, uh, for example, a professional football game and I see somebody make a play that, I don't know, I'm pretty sure you got paid to make and they're making an incredible uh, amount of, um, I don't know how you say it, celebration you know, because they tackled somebody. I'm like, okay, isn't that what you got paid to do is to tackle somebody. Whereas you see those highly professional uh, people out there. Michael Jordan never did a a big celebration. Kobe never did a big celebration. Dwayne Wade never did a big celebration. Um, So, you know, they put everything into the preparation, but losing is probably one of the most valuable lessons. Teamwork is one of the most valuable lessons. Going through adversity individually and with a group is such an important lesson that's gonna carry forth to people. And so for me personally, by the time I got into sales, like David Goggins will say, you can't hurt me. You know, what are you gonna do? What is somebody possibly gonna do to me? I say this all the time about Leanne, my friend Leanne on here, Credit Ninja. What are you going to do to Credit Ninja that's going to frighten her, scare her, push her back, make her not to not want to move forward? Not a darn thing. So I think that those types of lessons in life are invaluable. And that's why, as nuts as it sounds, I would tell everybody today, go seek out some adversity. Go seek out. Put yourself in a position to potentially be defeated uh, or to have that adversity because it will serve you so well. Oh, David, I always learn so much from you, truly, so much. And it's, um, it's funny, I, I talk about my, my therapist often, and she's not a normal therapist, so just know that, you know, if this is the first time you've heard me speak about her. It was weird timing. I, I had my weekly call with her yesterday, immediately after this, this meeting, kind of interview that that um that I was speaking of that, that threw me off and I normally don't get thrown off and I was so frustrated I was so like shook and and she's like Hannah like you're learning you you did the best you can and look what you just learned in the last hour like you're learning and I said I know but I don't like learning I like knowing <laughs> and then she's like this is what you have to do to know um so I that really reminded me of what you said, David. I don't know if, if David wants to respond or if anyone else has anything that's just oozing out of them that they want to share, but this is absolutely an open dialogue. Hey, Anna, this is Hi. Tony Mo. Um, David, I just have to say hello to you and tell you thank you because even through the adversity, um, on May 26, you spoke into my life you said everything will be okay and at that moment on may 26 i didn't think that but your words spoke to my soul and i thank you and it's such an honor to be here on the stage with so many champions i appreciate you love you tony mo thank you for saying that you're welcome
Hannah. This is Monica in the turquoise circle. Hi, Monica. Good morning. You and your mother are precious treasures. I want to say that. Secondly, David, what you and Hannah just both said reminded me of something. I was speaking to a group um, about a month ago, and the topic was how to take bold action. And one of the topics underneath that is is bold action requires you reframing your experience of failure because that's so much what keeps us from taking bold action is that fear of failing and being rejected. And the important distinction that is so great for us to be able to get is the difference between experiencing something and being something. So when we experience a failure, we are not the failure. We have experienced it. When we experience rejection, we are not being rejected. We are not rejected as a human being. We are experiencing a rejection, a noun, <laughs> as opposed to some other deeper, more personal way of being that reflects who we are or about us as, as our character. And when we separate ourself, our sense of self, from the experience, it is amazing how bold and how how confident we can become because we understand then that it doesn't mean anything about us as a human being or our quality as a human being or our worth as a human being. It's simply something we experience as a human being. I'm Monica in the Turquoise Circle, and I am done speaking. You know, Monica, I, I often, I, I say this whenever I teach imposter syndrome, um, and I said it a couple of weeks ago. Here, when I, when I, um, you know, when I taught imposter syndrome as well, but I'll, I'll share it because I know that not everyone was there. And it's, um, it's the concept that you are the thinker, not the thought, right? Um, just because you feel or uh, you feel a certain way or you, you think you're a certain thing, it doesn't mean you are that thing. So, you know, if you feel like you're a failure, it doesn't mean that you are a failure. It means that you're having the thought or, you know, the, the, the emotion that, that, that you are that thing. And, and I, I love that. I, I love that. It's, it's also the, the, the concept that you're not your, your mistakes or your shortcomings that doesn't define you. They're simply things that are there to quite literally help you shape you, propel you forward. And, and every time. Hey listeners, if you enjoy listening to breakfast with champions, we can bet you care about your daily routine. Do you want to know the secret to the perfect routine? It's the perfect morning. Glenn has written a free ebook called the morning five, five simple steps to an extraordinary morning. If you can transform your morning, you can transform your life. Head on over to themorning5.com to learn more about the five ways you can change the way you start your day. Um, that, that at least I'm faced with adversity, and obviously it's easier said than done, but um, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, a couple of months ago, one of my employees, I, I own a marketing agency, and I was a, a solopreneur for a long time. And, and being a solopreneur versus being an entrepreneur that manages employees, it's, it's very, it's very different. And, and learning how to be a boss is this whole other thing. And one of my employees um, kind of messed up, you know, and I was so frustrated because I'm like, oh, this never would have happened if it was, you know, just me. Right. And I'm like, why did, you know, why is this happening? This is so annoying. Why am I always putting out fires? And then I had this shift, right. And the shift was like, every time something 
bad happens and you know bad is just an opinion but just let's just say bad every time something bad happens that's giving me an opportunity to strengthen this portion of my business right like if you get in a fight with your partner as long as it's a relatively healthy relationship that's showing you something that you can strengthen so this annoying situation with an employee it allowed me to have a conversation with her and to put a process in place that would strengthen strengthen the business and prevent this from happening again because it was it was clearly a flaw in the business that was and the problem was inevitable so i think that oftentimes you know, when we're, when we feel like we're putting out fires or just fixing or, oh, why did this happen? That reframe of, okay, I am not a failure today because this happened. And, and more, just as David said, being grateful for the losses, the shortcomings, the, the struggle, because they truly do. It's not just, it's not just some cliche, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Of course, in, in the big ways, yes. But even in the little teeny everyday ways, it's like life shining a light on where you can grow. And if that doesn't happen, it's so easy for things to be easy when things are easy. You know, that's not, that doesn't teach you much. <laughs> like if, if you're just happy, you know, we all know those people in, in life that we all, I mean, I think most of us have that one friend where life has seemingly been relatively easy for them. Somehow they've, you know, just, it, it's just everything goes. They haven't had much adversity, haven't had much loss, you know, but just as David said, I, I was a kid who grew up with, with a lot of hardship. And now there's almost this, this sense of, it, it really is exactly what David said. No, you can't hurt, like what, what, what are you gonna do? You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not scared of much. Um, so anyway, open dialogue, anyone can respond. Hey, hey Hannah. Hannah. Oh. Go for it, Nisha, I heard you. This is Sarah, I'll go after you. Oh, Sarah, you were the best. Uh, Hannah, good morning, it's Nisha uh, in the fifth row. Good morning. Uh, love the dialogue. And, I, you know, as David was speaking, which I always love when he, spe when he speaks, when you were speaking, I, I kept thinking about the beautiful redirection of rejection. And I think a lot of times we think that the rejection is like a stopping point, but rejection is like go. There's a validation in rejection that is necessary for our lives. It's almost like a rites of passage, if you will. The greatest people have been rejected. And when you understand the value of rejection, a lot of times it's you weren't even supposed to be going in that direction in the first place. And so that, re that rejection was necessary to redirect you towards the place that you were supposed to go. I have a friend who was going for a position with the company. And, you know, I helped prep her for the opportunity and she didn't get it. And she was so devastated. But then another opportunity came up with the rival company. She went for that one and she got it. And she called me yesterday and she was like, oh my God, it's the best company ever. I love it so much. I literally feel like I'm floating on a cloud. Like I'm so happy I didn't get the other opportunity. And I'm like, look at that, you know, that rejection and that moment of her feeling like she was inadequate and that she wasn't good enough turned into the opportunity that she really wanted in the end, right? And so I think we have to trust rejection and understand when it happens. And we should almost be ready for it. Like it's coming <laughs> at some point in our lives, you live long enough, you will be rejected. Expect it, almost welcome it. Oh, here you come rejection, welcome, nice to see you. And, you know, just greet it with a smile because it means that something 
on the other side is going to be better. Something on the other side is going to be what you should have anyway. And so I think that if we change our mindset about rejection, we won't be so devastated by it. We will almost see it as a part of our story. And we all have our own individual stories and we won't let it limit us. We will allow it to propel us to the places that we are supposed to go. So love the conversation. This is Nisha and I'm done speaking. Good morning, Sarah. Everyone. Oh, sorry. I think let's let Sarah and then Darian wanted to speak, and then we'll go to and then we'll go to billionaires, um, Mich Michelle uh, McBride. So Sarah, um, Nisha, I love following you. That's amazing. The idea of welcoming rejection. Um, Hannah, I when you were talking about the move from solopreneur to um, entrepreneur managing people and um, how you had to have that conversation because something with your employee didn't go as planned. It actually, for me, really um, overlapped with Bill's discussion of delegation in the last hour. And um, what it brought up for me, because you, you had a choice in how you handled that, not only internally in your mindset, but also externally with your employee, I actually was thinking about when I heard um, Jill Abramson, the um, fired uh, executive editor of the New York Times, I heard her speak a couple years ago. And one of the things that was really interesting, um, again, going back to Bill's example in the last hour of like the plumber who's a really good plumber and then just decides to grow his business is that she was a really talented journalist. And as she told it in her speech, every time that they needed to like move a woman into a promoted position, they'd promote her and they never gave her management training at any step along the way. She never learned how to manage people. So her, her role kept growing outside of her initial skill set until she was literally the executive editor of the New York times. And she never had management training. And she said that like now in retrospect, she learned that she did everything wrong. Like she made her you know, number two, the person who she beat out for the job. And she like literally every time it something came up, she mishandled it. Um, and what I think is really interesting about, you know, rooms like this and conversations like this is that it, it literally took her like raising to, to the greatest height and then, you know, being publicly fired in front of all the world to have that reflection. And I think it's so powerful discussions like these. Not only do we have a choice of our mindset of how we face you know, rejection and adversity internally and how it impacts kind of our, our ethos and our development and our, our drive. But I think taking a moment to acknowledge that also, you know, when things don't go as planned externally to us in our business with our employees who we're delegating to, that point that you made, Hannah, about making that shift and how you spoke to her, right? If you don't have the skills to do that, I think you go out and you get those skills. You learn how to do that. If you're in a business, you ask for that training. If you're running your own business, you seek out um, you seek out that knowledge so that you're not only reframing rejection for yourself, but you're reframing those rejections for everyone around you so that you can all be more successful. So that's what really came to the surface for me. Thank you. This is Sarah. I'm done speaking. Sweet. Sarah, I love it. Awesome. Hannah, always great to hear you. Always love your segments. Um, couple things actually when David was speaking and he was talking about Leanne um, and just adversity and looking and seeking out adversity it reminded me of um, surrounding yourselves with people um, that are going to push you to do that and so I was thinking about back to 
a few years ago, uh, Glenn would always ask me the question, are you chasing the no? And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, are you chasing the no? Like, is your, is your ask so big that the answer is going to be no? Or are you asking and it's going to be like, yes. So if I'm singing a song uh, at a random place and they ask me to sing, I'm like, yeah, like uh, $500. And they're like, okay, cool. It's like, well, you're not asking enough. Like chase that no, like where's your, where's your worth? Where's your self value? And so I look at that, the same aspect of dreaming and chasing um, just, just what you want to do in life. And so honestly, like that's one of the things that got me to where I am on Broadway because it was like, Hey, you know, why, why can't I be on Broadway? No, I don't have the training that somebody else did, you know, when they started at the age of three. Yeah, I'm starting in my 30s, but why can't I? Um, and so not having that limit you. And then also with that is once you start to believe and you start walking in that faith and that understanding, making sure uh, the people that are around you are, are those that are going to continue to lift you up and build you up. And so when you start talking through adversity or um, the aspect of rejection, you know, I've been in spots and been in places where when I'm serving people, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm there for their benefit. It's all about, it's all, it's all good. Everything's great. But the moment that I step out and, and try to do something bigger or greater or different, um, than their mindset of what they think that I should be doing for them. Um, that's when the rejection sets in. And for a while it was sitting in this mindset, this aspect of like, well, maybe I'm not doing the right thing. Maybe I should be doing what they're saying, or maybe this is the, the other. And it's like, no, like, I believe in Jesus. Uh, I know that I have the Holy Spirit living in me. And so for me, it's like, because the veil was torn, I don't have to go through somebody else to hear from God. He can speak to me, and I can be like, no, he's calling me to do this. This is what I'm called to do, so I'm going to do this, and I'm going to walk in this and walk in that authority. And because of that, I don't have to be uh, less than, and not your way is necessarily not wrong. However, if I'm being called to do something else, I need to do that. If I need to step out in faith and leave this job and start another job, that's something completely different or something that's quote-unquote competing with what I'm doing right now, then there's nothing wrong with what you're doing. I'm just called to a different pathway in that. And because of that, the people that are in your tribe that are going to encourage you, that are going to support you, that are going to back you up, those are the people that you need to make sure that you tag onto and hold onto. Because I tell you this, like, I love the fact of the matter that in the back chats, it is all, all encouraging. I know the fact of the matter that I know if I'm going to Las Vegas, I can call Credit Ninja. And I'm just like, dope. She's like, cool, this is what we're doing. This is where we are. I'll be a host. That's what it is. I know wherever I go, California, whatever, I have people that will that will jump on and support. And so I just say, grab people that are in your circle, in your world, that are going to support you through that rejection and through that adversity. Oh my God, this conversation is amazing, and this is this is exactly what what I'd hoped would would happen. Um, um, before I want to make sure that I'm holding space for everyone who wanted to, to chime in on this. Did anyone want to add to the conversation? Um, yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Michelle McBride, please. Good morning. Hi, Hannah. How are you? Hi, family. Breakfast of the Champions. So for me, rejection has been a really good thing in a way. And I know it sounds weird but I've actually embraced rejection. It, it, it's a sign that I'm growing. And I'll give you two examples. Um, I think sometimes we kind of wish rejection on ourselves when we know deep down inside 
a decision that we've made is not the right decision that we've made. Um, years ago, I was offered a nice six-figure position, uh, which required me to relocate many miles away from home. I did that. I was in temporary housing. I called back to my, my sister to let her know that I was ready to move full-time up to this position. And so she arranged the moving van and everything. She packed my, my house up. It was my first house I purchased. She packed everything in my house, literally everything was in the moving van. At that precise moment that they were loading the last item in the moving van, <clears throat> my boss called me into the office out of state and said, I'm sorry, your job is being eliminated. And of course, I was devastated. And the funny thing was, now that I look back, like I said, you can't connect the dots looking, you know, forward, only backwards. Now that I look backwards, you know, I had a deep desire. I did not want to lose my house. I did not want to sell my house. It was my first house. I did not want to leave my hometown. So I think I secretly wished that rejection on myself. Literally, I had to call my sister back and say, stop, stop the truck. Don't let them move. Because I knew once they moved away from my house, there were going to be fees involved and I'd have to start all over. So literally in that moment of rejection that I was facing by being let go from my position, I also had the chance to regain my freedom, come back to Maryland and start my entrepreneurial journey. So that rejection was great for me. And I just want to share one other quick thing. Rejection can be life-saving sometimes. Real quickly, last year I was having some issues with my boss and it was making me a little stressed out like we all get, you know. So I decided to go to my primary care doctor. And in going to my primary care doctor, my, my goal was to maybe get a referral to a therapist. I've never been to a therapist before. And in doing that, I mentioned that I was having some discomfort in my breast. And my, my primary care doctor said, oh really, how long ago did this start? And little knowns to me that I was in a stage of breast cancer. Had no knowledge of it. So that rejection by my boss that sent me to my primary care doctor to get a referral was life-saving for me. So again, sometimes rejection can be a good thing. I'm Michelle Billionaires, and I'm That is so, so inspiring, and it's it's really crazy how 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 you know, in the moment, it can be like, why, why me? Why is this happening? And then in retrospect, you look back and you're like, oh my God, like, thank, thank God, you know, um, I want to do a quick little reset um, for, for anyone who may just be joining us. Um, I want to welcome you and say good morning. Um, I am Hannah. I have this segment every single Wednesday um, from eight to nine Eastern, seven to eight central early in the morning. It's great. It's one of my favorite parts of the week, but you can find breakfast with champions, Glenn and the incredible panel of, of experts and thought leaders and just inspiring, amazing people that he has curated. Um, you can find us here um, every single morning at, Oh my God, I get this wrong every week. Please tell me it's 5am, 5am Eastern. Yes. Every day, Monday through Friday at 5 a.m. Eastern, Saturday at 6 Eastern, um, and, and you're listening to Request with Champions, and that's my little reset. Today, um, I'm just going to, I think that's right, because someone would have stopped me. Um, I'm really bad at, oh my God, sorry, my purse just fell. I'm really bad at remembering numbers. Um, so... 
today we're talking more specifically about rejection. Uh, it just, it, the, the time was working out really interestingly. I am reading a portion of a book that spoke about rejection and how rejection is redirection, rejection is protection, even speaking about using rejection and, and you know, th those failures to propel you and how you can learn from them, how they're, um, you know, not something to, you know, simply overcome, but, but a really integral part of, of anyone's success. Um, so if anyone has anything that you want to share, this is just more, more dialogue style today because I haven't done an open dialogue room. Well, if you have any questions for me or, or David or anyone that's, that's shared, um, yes, Janie would love to hear from you. You know, what comes to mind that I want to just uh, share, you know, sometimes you know, I'm in the betrayal space. So I'm in the betrayal trauma space. So I work with, in particular, a lot of women that have either been in toxic relationships or they've been betrayed. And in that moment of the shock and the pain, we can know on the other side of it that there will be good for them. But I just want to say that sometimes as friends or people that can be alongside someone who's going through that pain, saying this saying the term to them and we know it's true 100 percent. but that rejection is going to be your, rede your redirection you're going to be better for this you know there's a time and a season for that and sometimes i see more harm when we know that to be true but our timing is off when we're trying to help someone we're trying to support them because you know especially when we have woundedness that we have yet to have healed from and if someone has had abandonment issues and they're being, re and I'm talking more about romantic relationships, and they're being rejected or they found out their spouse has cheated, you know, in that moment, they're just trying to get out of bed and they're just trying to put one foot in front of the other. They're trying to make sense of life. And we know on the other side, especially when the healing work is done, they'll look back and say, thank God that he cheated on me because I wouldn't be the person I am today if he didn't do that. But, you know, I just want to say, because somebody probably is in this audience who is going through a breakup or who's going through a divorce and they're in pain and they're probably thinking, well, I don't feel that right now. There is nothing wrong with you at all. You know, there is a season and then a season of healing. Sometimes we know logically, but it's not the moment where we can feel that. And that's OK. So I wanted to add that, Hannah, because I know 100 percent that is true in my Women Redeem group. When women look back, they're like, thank goodness he reveals himself there's always a reveal and the blessing but in that moment that rejection is so painful especially if there's childhood woundedness of abandonment of rejection and things that are yet to be healed the intensity around that rejection can put people in a shame spiral or feel like no one understands them they feel alone they feel isolated i can't talk to my friend because she's telling me this is the best thing that happened to me right so we just want to be gentle with ourselves and also give people grace so this is dr janey thanks hannah I, ugh, I love that so much. And this is something that, you know, you might not know about me, but whenever I speak on Clubhouse, I love when people can share any other perspective. I don't think that it's helpful for anyone when we simply all, you know, agree or just operate under this like groupthink principle of, you know, yes, yes, yes. You're completely right. And, you know, I can really relate to a lot of the, um, the intricacies of what you've spoken about, you're, you're talking to the, the queen of abandonment issues herself. Um, so no, I, I, I get you and, and you're completely right. And I can, it's, it's funny. Cause now I'm just, you know, looking back at my own life 
Totally. I remember when I got, I was going through an awful breakup and I was like devastated, like worst, worst, worst. And I had a friend who said that to me and I just, I'm like, I, that just is the last thing I wanted to hear. But right now, you know, after time, a hundred percent, of course. And, you know, I can see all the beautiful things that, um, that were able to happen for me and for my life be, because of that, um, you know, that chapter ending, but that's, that's a really awesome, um, perspective that you, that you brought up. You know, Hannah, it's so important. This is David again. It is really important if, if for anybody to be able to avail a breakthrough uh, as a result of adversity, defeat, um, heartbreak, as Dr. Jeannie was just saying, you can't get there if you're living in self-pity. You can't get there if you own a victim mentality you actually lock yourself there. And sometimes unwittingly, friends, you know, in an effort to support somebody, uh, will say, oh man, that happened to you, that happened to you, it's so terrible, this happened to you, to you, to you, to you. And anybody who realizes breakthroughs also realizes, uh, and I'm sure the doctor, good doctor could speak to this, is they also realize that that happened for them. And it's interesting, as somebody, as she said, at some point, you go, oh, my God, that's the best thing that ever happened to me. As you just said, the breakthrough is the best thing that ever happened for me, right? So um, it's really important. If you don't uh, have the ability, uh, and if you've got friends that are, frankly, in, in with a good heart, with good intention, keeping you locked into a victim mentality or keeping you locked into a self-pity type of a place, um, that's exactly what they're doing. They're locking you in and disallowing you. And you have to own that. You're disallowing yourself from being able to uh, avail yourself of the really phenomenal breakthrough that you're likely to, to be just about to experience. This is David, I'm done speaking. Hi, oh. Hi. Uh, this is Gina, I just wanted to jump in. Uh, I usually don't uh, speak too much. I'm, I'm listening and learning uh, right now. But I felt like this was something that I could add some value to this conversation. Uh, I am in um, the entertainment business. I've been in the entertainment business most of my life since maybe five years old. And I, I have to agree that Rejection is redirection. It's sometimes God has a way of humbling us uh, so that we can learn to be what we need to be to do the work we have to do for him. 90% um, of my business is rejection. Like if you're a performer, uh, we audition all the time, all the time. And so 90% of the businesses, you know, we hear no, uh, no, thank you, next. And so the challenge for many entertainers, or at least for professional uh, Broadway performers, is to not allow that rejection to bleed over into other aspects of our lives. You know, to hear rejection, to face rejection on a constant basis. 
really can affect you as a human being. It, it affects your perspective on the world and um, your self-esteem. So we really, really have to be in prayer, many of us, to stay committed to these goals. Um, I don't want to overspeak, but I'm just going to say that I, I truly believe that uh, when we are facing rejection, God is preparing us for the work that he needs us to do. And so we should view it that way. And uh, I'm Gina, and I'm done speaking. Boom. Perfect. Not over speaking. Beautiful. Hey, Hannah, this is Sarah. Um, I'd love to actually go back to uh, what two speakers ago said. I think the, the person before um, David, because I love what she was saying, actually. And again, like I'm kind of, I know I said this earlier, thinking about, you know, the internal versus the external what we say to others. And what she said that was so powerful to me um, is this idea of um, thinking before you almost um, impose on, on your friend, on your loved one, or in this person in your network that rejection is redirection. And I was thinking about actually my current um, grief thought leader, her name is Megan Devine. She wrote, it's okay that you're not okay. And uh, she runs uh, Refuge in Grief. She has this, uh, she sometimes like translates things. And she'll say that when people go to, um, you know, people who've, you know, suffered a traumatic loss or grieving or, or whatever the case may be. And they're saying to them, why haven't you moved on yet? It's like hard for them. They want to see this person back to their former glory or whatever the case may be. They want their old friend back. They want their old family. And like, why haven't you moved on yet? Why haven't you moved on yet? And she said like, you can translate that from why haven't you moved on yet? Um, or even in the context of this conversation, like why haven't you been able to find the lesson in this rejection, in this loss? Why haven't you been able to overcome to do the next thing? You can translate that when that's coming at you and you're not ready for it as the limits of my compassion and my bandwidth for whatever you're carrying have, have been overextended. And that's another thing that I think can be really helpful if you're the person struggling with this concept right now, right? If you're for some reason not ready to see the rejection as the redirection and, and you'd honor this as well, Hannah, that if people are coming at you like, why haven't you overcome yet? Why haven't you found the lesson yet? It's also okay to understand that you as the person going through it might have overextended that person. Um, and that's why they're saying to you like, why aren't you through it yet? Why aren't you through it yet? And that everyone's timeline might be, timeline might be different of when they get through the other side, when they see the lesson, when they overcome, when they, whatever the, the word may be. And I think it's helpful if you're, if you're getting that feedback and you're not ready, or if you're the person saying that to someone else to just remember that those timelines of when people are ready for that lesson vary. And additionally, that your circles, patience, you don't always want to go to the same person to help you find the redirection. If you're burning someone out, maybe look to someone else for support as you, as you try to make that shift within yourself. Uh, and Hannah, I also think it's amazing that you always mention that you see a therapist to work through uh, getting to the next level and breaking through. I think that's really powerful. This is Sarah. I'm done speaking. Hey, champions. Guess what? The Breakfast with Champions podcast airs live every single day, 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. only on the Clubhouse app. So make sure to download Clubhouse and go check out Breakfast with Champions. You're not going to regret it. See you there. Yeah, Sarah, that was great. And this is Jeff, the entrepreneur. And Hannah, I love um, the whole mantra, life happens for you. Because I think that when you 
whenever you get rejected on anything and you hear that, it makes you really just think, okay, what can I learn from that? Which is kind of what Sarah's saying. You know, life doesn't happen to us, it happens for us. And, you know, a lot of times too, even with me, I think the feeling of rejection the most was when, you know, I do a presentation, whether it's when I had my photography wedding business and I do everything, I work really hard, like the people show that we do the best day and they pick somebody else. I literally felt like a guy asking a girl to prom and her being like, we're gonna go with somebody else and that heart-wrenching feel, right? But then I, I, I got curious and this was good. And I mean, there's rejections all forms, but I used to ask them, hey, what, what made you pick that company, right? And it was the hardest uh, thing to ever ask, but it was the most beneficial. Oh, well, we picked them, they offered this, this, and this, and I knew what I need to get better on, uh, so on and so forth. So a lot of times in that form of rejection, uh, that's why you can turn it into a positive. If you kind of just say, hey, why'd this happen for me and go forward? So this is Jeff the Entrepreneur. Yeah, absolutely, and um, it, and it, it's it's interesting because the, the way that this conversation is turned, we can't force people that we love and care about to to view anything this way, right? I'm sure there's a lot of people that are in this room listening right now, and they're not in a space to to receive that. Um, and something that I've had to really learn as I've gotten older, both from watching my friends, you know, get frustrated with me and. And, and myself get frustrated with my friends and my family, like everyone's on their own timeline. And, and sometimes people simply need to, to, to go through and grow through things themselves. Um, you know, and it, even though that's frustrating because you know that there's an easier way or, you know, a shift that could happen. Um, but I want to open it up to, to questions, whether it's a question for, for, for me or for anyone else who, who shared this morning or, or simply just a, an open-ended question um, we have about 10 minutes left, um, and I wanted to, you know, hold space for it. Um, I'm probably not going to do these, like, more dialogue-style rooms often because I think that, you know, just for the, the nature of the segment, the, the more structured ones sometimes work better, but I do think that it's really fun and, and special to be able to just, like, talk freely sometimes. So if anyone has any questions for anyone specifically or just, you know, about this topic, definitely... Um, open that up, please. Hi, Hannah. This is Rachel. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here today. And I would love to hear from any of the speakers as we're talking about, you know, chasing the no and being ready for rejection. Um, what was your biggest no that led to your biggest yes? This is Rachel and I'm done speaking. I can share. This is Nisa um, in the fifth row pink dress. So, um, I moved to Maryland from Chicago and prior to moving, I was, I had been promoted and had a um, pretty high position working in education and loved the position. Um, but in the process, I met my husband. Well, he was, I was dating him at the time and I thought, you know, he's great, but this is not going to work out because I'm not moving from Chicago to Maryland ever. Okay. I'm a Midwest girl born and raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Go Bucks, okay? Um, and so, so um, I, you know, I had this position. I, I'm like, you know, this job is great. And I had a conference call one day with the rest of the directors and was ultimately laid off. And I was completely devastated, completely devastated. And I remember calling my now husband and telling him, and he was like, yes. And I was like, this is so disrespectful that you are celebrating <laughs> my demise. 
And he was like, no, I'm not celebrating the fact that you got laid off. I'm celebrating the fact that maybe now you will consider moving to the East Coast. Had this not happened to you, you would never move. And I have plans for you. And so I need you to move to the East Coast so we can get married. And so ultimately, um, I ended up moving to the East Coast and just shifting and pivoting my career altogether. And then we got married. We have two kids. You know, the rest of the story. So I think at the moment, something that felt so devastating was God saying, I got to make you uncomfortable. You're too comfortable. And in your comfort, you're going to miss out on something that could be really well, not that could be that is for you. So I think the lesson is that, um, you know, ultimately man's rejection is God's protection. He will shift things if he feels like you are too comfortable and you're going to miss out on something that is better for you. So I hope that that is helpful. This is Nisha and I'm done speaking. Yeah, Nisha, let's go to Kenna. I want to hear yours. Uh, I want to hear David's first. Dave, what was your biggest no that led to your biggest yes? He might not be here. Oh. Does that mean I have to go? I don't, I need to think about it. Here, I, need, I, I, I have need mine. You Can go. I go quick? Go. Yeah. Quick, uh, girl I asked to marry me, uh, Angel, um, I asked her, perfect moment dashboard proposal. I told this before. She, uh, she she said no only because it was a week from her uh, wedding date. She was about to get married. And that taught me that, man, don't wait for the perfect moment. I waited so long. I fantasized about this was the girl for me. We used to spend time together uh, all the way through, uh, you know, the, kind of the high school sweetheart thing. Got separated after my mom passed away. Wrote letters, the whole deal. And then when she said no, I really just was trying to create a perfect moment. So... That was mine, and it told me never wait for the perfect moment. So why I'm such an action taker is because of that reason. That's the reason I took out of it. So this is Jeff the entrepreneur. Go ahead, Hannah. Um, my biggest no. My biggest no. Oh, there's been so many. There's been so many big no's for me. Um. A relationship ending that I really didn't want to end was was a big one. And I, I have no, I can't even begin to imagine um, what my life would look like right now had that not happened. Um, it, but there's so many little things, like so many <laughs> little things. Like when I first moved downtown, a couple of my friends were moving in together and I'm like, huh, like why is this? why is this working out this way? I'm going to end up living alone. And, and now I, I cannot imagine having roommates. Oh my God. Like just, just, there's so many things that happen big and small in everyday life that just seem so frustrating and annoying. And then you look back and it's like, wow, you know, thank, thank God that happened that way because this, this, this beautiful thing worked out. I mean, you know, this <laughs> growing up, I, I dealt with a lot of loss like both just on like the, the abandonment side of it, but also like, like, like death. Um, and you know, I don't want to say that that happens for a reason because it, it's awful and it doesn't, but you know, going back to what David was speaking about before, I, I a hundred percent am who I am because of everything that I went through that had to strengthen me. Like growing up, I have a, a sibling with special needs and, 
I, I, you know, as amazing as my mom is, you guys know, I often bring her and I definitely had to raise myself to an extent because, you know, he just took up more of her time, of course, you know, so, and I, and I know that, that those things shaped me in, into who I am today. It's why I'm so independent and confident and can have a, a relatively successful business at a relatively young age. So, um, there's a lot of no's. I, I don't even want to pinpoint one because there's no's big and small and. Um, hey, Hannah, I can jump in. Yes, please, Barbara. Okay. So, hey, this is Barbara in the red dress in the top row, and um, I hope you guys can hear me. When I was heading to college, so I have a twin brother, and I have younger twin brothers, and I, too, one of my younger set in the second set, my brother with Stephen is also special needs, so that resonates with me, that attention was redirected all the time. I have a twin brother who was an exceptional athlete, and then I have a special needs brother, so I didn't always get the attention, but it did build muscles within me because I had to kind of speak for myself, advocate for myself, and take care of myself more than my contemporaries. Now, when Ben and I, that's my twin brother, we're getting ready to go to college. My twin, like I said, was an exceptional athlete, and he got a Division One scholarship to play soccer, and so his college was paid for. And I was going to University of Maryland. I was two weeks out. I had all my stuff from Bed Bath & Beyond. I had worked all summer. I had my classes picked out, my college ID, the whole nine yards, and my parents sat me down and said, we cannot pay the tuition. This is two weeks before I'm supposed to go to college. And I'm like, I don't understand. I have my college ID. I have my college roommate. I have, I'm, I'm a Terrapin. I am going to University of Maryland and I'm leaving in two weeks. And they said, we have, we cannot write the check. We don't have the money. And I was like, but you, <laughs> I don't know. Like I couldn't wrap my head around it. I'm like, I was told to get good grades, apply to state schools and go to college. Like this is, was the plan. I could, you do your part. I do my part. We all have a part to play in this. And they just were like, listen, you're not going. You're, we're not paying the bill. You're not going. And it was devastating at the time. And again, you know, rejection is redirection. And um, I, I ultimately pivoted my, my in my life in that moment of like, I have to take care of me. I can't wait for other people and I can't rely on anyone else except myself to get myself to where I want to be. So I actually did not initially go to college. I stayed home. I worked, I had a job with Bloomberg Financial Markets. I continued to work there, saved my money and had to go to a less expensive school and um, didn't end up going to University of Maryland. But I ultimately became a very empowered human being and didn't rely on anybody else's uh, grit to move my ball forward. It was my ball to move down the line. And I took ownership of it. And I knew that I wanted to go to college. So I ultimately put myself through college. And um, even though that was a really tough time in my life, um, I think that empowerment of taking the ball and running with it is something that I've never forgotten. And I, 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 it's really played a huge role in my life. Like all bets are on Babs and I'm going to take it down to the, the finish line and, and go big. So yeah, it was a really difficult time, but I emerged a stronger, better driven and more capable human being. So back to you, Hannah, with a couple minutes left. Hey, Hannah, this is Mia. I'd love to add to that. If that's okay. Please, yeah. Hi guys. Good morning, everybody. So glad to be here. Love you, Hannah. Um, Barbara, I totally resonate with your story and this similar way. Um, my situation was more about 
picking and choosing my major and um, the major that I chose that I wanted to go to school for was not something that was supported by my family. And they said, if you want to go to college for that, you have to figure out how to go to school. If you want to go for something else um, that they had chosen for me, they would pay for it. And I still chose what I wanted and what I knew I was good at. Um, Long line down the road, I ended up not being able to afford to go back one year. And I had an internship in New York City that I absolutely loved. And I begged them to keep me on as an intern. And, you know, my no here was like, no, you can't go back to school, basically, was something I was telling myself, because I just did not have the money. And I knew that asking my family was not the option. And I knew that I didn't want to get the heat from them about, you know, my poor choice in major and the mistake that I made in trying to to make it work on my own. And that was just something that was a non-negotiable or AKA a no for me. Um, So I begged and begged and begged and I stayed on as a free unpaid intern for a remaining two months. And I worked my ass off so hard that they ended up hiring me and gave me salary. And then that's kind of where my career took off in New York City when I was working for large brands like Ralph Lauren and Vera Wang and Condé Nast. Um, and it was something that completely changed my life. If I had gone and crawled back to my family and said, listen, I can't pay, I need to go back to school or finish at community or, you know, I'll go back to school, but I'll change my major. That would have completely derailed, um, the path that I was on at the time and the connections that I made and the career that I began for myself. So it became the biggest thing that I could have done for me. Um, just in kind of trusting in myself and believing in myself. And that's something you, Hannah, that you said, you know, you had to kind of parent yourself and and raise yourself a bit. And I think that that's something to be championed. Um, It's something I've learned from, but it's also something that I think can be admired in a lot of people, especially, you know, women like you, like Barbara, other people here on the stage, I've heard their stories that um, when you can take something that, whether it's our families or close friends or people we're in a relationship with or even colleagues that have said, you can't really do this. Or, uh, you know, in the same vein, you have to figure out how to do this on your own because I can't do it. And doing that and figuring out your way when certain things have kind of been, um, I don't want to say taken from you, but kind of a roadblock. I think that is one of like the strongest things that a lot of us can sit and say, like, I did this and this became my no became my yes. Yeah. Wow. I love that. My, my no became my yes. Um, all right, guys, it is time for me to wrap up today. I want to thank you so much for, for listening. Um, you are here listening to Breakfast with Champions. You can find us every single morning, Monday through Friday at 5 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Eastern on Saturdays. And you can find me specifically here every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Eastern. Um, I would love if you could DM me with any topic requests because I want to speak about topics that you guys want to hear about. So please DM me them. I'm somewhere here with a pink background. I am so honored to be handing the mic over to Alpha. Alpha, good morning. Hey, good morning, Hannah. You know what time it is. Let's start the show. Yes. 
Good morning. Welcome to Breakfast with Champions. If you're just joining us, this is the Millionaire Breakfast Table brought to you by Mr. Glenn Lundy in the top left corner. Last speak was Hannah Eve. Take a moment and follow her while you're at it. And make sure you follow this club. Every single day we bring value every single day. It's not easy to do that. It's not easy to consistently show up all across the world early in the morning. Sometimes you're tired. Sometimes you don't really feel it. But guess what? It's important. So we're here. So this morning, a little phrase I said jokingly, uh, I think I can, I think I can. It reminded me of the childhood story, right? That little engine that could, in the midst of so much bigger engines, making excuses, saying why they could not go, that engine strapped the load to his back, so to speak, and began to speak to itself, saying, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. But I want to add a little piece to that idea of I think I can. We got to say it a little slower. I think I can, right? Capability is constant. Your capacity is constant. But how much of your capability and how much of your capacity that you use is tied to your identity. Your identity is tied to your I am. Now, whatever follows I am, that is your distinction of all that you are. You are an absolute being. You were born entirely you. And nothing I have to offer you will make you more of you. There's nothing I can say. There's nothing I can do that remove a single atom from your being. There's nothing I can say. There's nothing I can do to add a single atom to your being. So therefore, when you stand next to other people that you find to be great, that you say, wow, maybe one day I'll be, let me just tell you, no, you will not. You will never be Michael Jordan. You will never be Wayne Gretzky. You will never be LeBron James, but you will be you, and you've been you all this time. And the only thing you're seeing when you look over at those that you deem to be great is a reflection of yourself standing in the wings, waiting to go on the stage. Maybe you're letting the butterflies in your stomach get to you. Maybe you're mistaking that nervousness for nervousness when it's really excitement because a part of you can't wait to go. Just revving to go, chomping at the bit. Wait till I get out there. But then this other seemingly real part of you is saying, but, 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 what if, what if, what if I mess up? Okay. Well, maybe you will. So what? What's messing up? Trying? Well, that's part of trying. Part of trying is not doing it right sometimes. Part of trying is tripping over something that you didn't see there. If you were to ask most people, why are you stuck? Why are you stuck? They would tell you what they believe to be the problem. So let's look at an apple tree, right? I go to the branch. I want an apple. I reach for the apple. Ugh, this apple's rotten. There's a worm in it. I say, well, not that one. I reach for another fruit. And I said, ew, this one's rotten too. 
And this one's rotten too. And this one's rotten too. How many times am I going to blame the fruit and never check the branch? How many times am I going to check the branch and never check the tree? How many times are we going to check the tree and not check the root? Most of the time, we are naming the symptom as the problem. The symptom is not the problem. And if you solve for the symptom, then that's like pulling one apple. Sure, you have solved that that apple is bad. However, the next one's bad too. Let's translate this to life. You were in a relationship with a person and it went wrong and you blamed them. They suck. They're the worst person ever. They should have never had your time. Meet another person. Hey, this person is just like the last person, except they have a different name, slightly different height, but they're the same person. Hey, meet another person. Guess what? Find out the same thing all over again. The only common denominator between these three people is you. It's you. My dad would say the issue is you. And you're looking at them. Now you got to ask yourself, what is the root? What is the root? Do you love yourself in a way that you're wishing to be loved by somebody else? Do you see the value in yourself before you blame the clients? Are you saying, I don't have enough clients. I'm not making enough sales. This, 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 this. Everything outside of me is the problem. I blame it all. It's not me. But do you will feel worthy of what you're asking for? Another question is, as much as you say you believe that you deserve it, do you even expect it? Because belief without expectation is not belief at all. Imagine having enough faith to say, if I walk, something simple, let's make it simple. I'm going to walk to the store. Now, if it's 9.05 at night, and I know Target closes at 9 p.m., I expect it to be closed. I don't expect to get what I came for. So what am I going to do? Am I going to leave my house, take the effort involved to get there only to find out what I expect? Of course not. I'm going to stay right where I'm at. But most people are looking at their destiny, their dreams, their hopes, their everything just like that. They're expecting things to go wrong. They're waiting for the other shoe to fall, so to speak. But they say they believe. When they hit the gym, they don't expect to be in the best shape of their life. They expect to quit at some point. They expect it to hurt too much. They expect to fall off before they even get on. Therefore, they make a half-hearted effort so they can say, see, I tried. But you know, little Yoda would tell you, there's no try. There's only do. Either you did or you did not. So the rest of that phrase would be, I think, I can, I can, I will, I will, I must, if I must, I win. I'm going to say that again. I think, I can, I can, I will, I will, I must, and if I must, I win. And Tony Robbins would say, you change a should to a must, and then you'll do what it takes. And John Asheroff would say, if you're either interested or committed, if you're interested, you'll do what's convenient. If you're committed, you're going to do whatever it takes 
as long as it doesn't hurt someone else. Now, that's a big fat difference, a huge, huge difference between I think I can, getting down to I must, and I will, and then I win. We're not losing necessarily or failing necessarily because that was the outcome intended for your life. Half of the time or majority of the time, it's because you or I and we build so-called machines to fix problems that are never even the problem. We're so busy looking outside of ourselves for what the issue is that we never find what the issue is. So there's a great book called The Road Less Stupid. And John was telling me this the other day, we were having a conversation. He said even people who pay him over six figures to be coached, he will not even talk to them until they finish this book. And I understand why. Because it has something very great in here, and this is part of what I'm speaking on this morning. It says most people, when asked to pinpoint their biggest problems, erroneously identify their problems as the gap between where they are and where they would like to be. Think about that, the gap. What you identify as the problem is actually a description of the gap. The gap is not your underlying problem, it's the symptom. The symptom is what indicates something is wrong, but it does not shed any light on what's causing it to show up. So if you're looking at it, say, hey, I'm not getting enough sales. Ooh, got the COVID-20, not the COVID-10. Add a pounds here, you know, sitting in the house. Guess what we can do in the house? Sit-ups, crunches, push-ups, stretch, jog, jumping jacks, jump rope. Plenty of things. I don't know if anybody on this call has an iPhone and not YouTube also, but there's a tremendous amount of free things you could watch if you cannot afford at the moment. You can have a lack of resources temporarily, but not resourcefulness, not finding a way. Do you have water? Because water is the main thing you're gonna need. Can you drink water? Can you breathe deeply? Because that's part of the other side. Water and oxygen, very necessary for health, right? You have both. Do you have a body? Yes. And can you use that body for resistance? Yes. Okay, there we go. So our root here is, do you have the will and the belief and the expectation that you will achieve what you say you wish to achieve? Do you have the will? Do you have the belief and the expectation? You just can't have one without the other, right? If you have one without the other, it's not gonna work. So Tim Grover, who trained Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Dwayne Wade, a list of legends, he has a new book called Winning. And yesterday I was reading it, he said, you know, part of what happened last year, it let a lot of people off the hook with their routines. Now, if you ever played basketball, this word pivot, I've heard it a million times, a million times, especially here on Clubhouse. When you pivot in basketball, one of your legs has to stay put. You can't move both legs. You can turn this way, you can turn that way, but you are literally stuck on one side as you turn. Now here's the problem. Some of what you're already doing wasn't working in the first place. You're fighting the uphill battle with roller skates on, trying to overcome a problem that you're creating 
by persisting in what never worked. Ever, ever, ever. It's this idea that I'm gonna overcome, I'm gonna achieve. You won't stop me. It's like, you're stopping me. You're trying to climb a mountain with skates on. That's crazy. What works already works. People around you working it. They will tell you. Sometimes you gotta pay them, but they will tell you. Most of them will write it down have someone edit it, put it in organized fashion, chapter by chapter, and all you got to do is buy the book. You see, when John was across from me saying that this book was so important that people would pay him six figures, as he was going, I was on Amazon.prime. And the book was ordered. Before he finished his sentence, I turned the phone around. I showed him I bought it. The very next day the book came, I texted him a picture of the book. He says, not for amateurs, you know. I said, good thing I'm a professional. The level has been set. Let's go. Why? If it's good enough for the best of your best, it's good enough for me. What do these people have that I don't have? Do they have brains, arms, legs, head, eyes, mouth, talk, see? What are they doing that you can't do? Absolutely nothing. But what do you identify with is the problem. Your capability is constant. Your capacity is constant. Your ability is constant. But how much you use of it is right after your I am. These are distinctions, I'm telling you. You are a whole absolute version of you, but you have to acknowledge it. You have to recognize it. You have to be the little engine that could. You don't even have to be the little engine that could. You could be the silver bullet. You can be the fastest train on a magnetic track, not even touching the tracks, just gone. Just boom, out of here. Or you can be the little engine. Pushing and pushing, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Or you can be who you are, not who you will be. There's a certain moment in every person's life where you got to get on with the business of being what you came here to do. Time is ticking, 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 ticking. You look up and say, oh, my baby boy graduated from kindergarten yesterday. He was just a little baby. And then I see him in his suit, and I'm so proud of him. And I realize if he's getting older, then so am I. When will it be a good time for us, me, you, all of us to graduate? Jim Rohn said they make the deaths very small for a reason. So you move on. So you're not still sitting in a first grader's chair when you should be in sixth grade, seventh grade. So you quit running your business at the kindergarten level, your love at the kindergarten level, your life at the kindergarten level, well, you should be at least in high school by now. You should at least be in college by now. You should at least have associates by now. Come on. Well, see, some people want to be in the league, but you might end up in the development league. You might get to practice against the real. A starter. Yeah, start. But do you finish? Do you close? I see my guy Mark Jenkins up here. Mark knows. Let me tell you about Mark Jenkins, right? Mark said, the day I don't push myself and the day I'm not willing to show up and be a white belt in a different category in which I may be more qualified than the teacher, that's the day I quit training other people. You can't train off the vapors. Ain't that right, Mark? See, he's probably training somebody right now. Mark's 51. Look at his photo. He's the man with his shirt wide open and abs all the way up to his chest. Why? Because Mark does not play around with it. 
Mark does not just talk about it. If you go to Mark's Instagram, you will see him every single day training himself, training someone else. Now, here's the thing about it. We might be looking for the right answers, but having the right answer is smart. Having the right question is genius. And that came from Peter Drucker, the guy who pretty much wrote the book on management. The question is bogus sometimes. Why is this happening to me? Why did that happen to me? How come? How come? That's a crazy question to ask yourself. Why not you? Why not you? You know, earlier this morning it was said, adversity is not your adversary. Adversity is your ally. Do you want peace? Do you think you're just gonna know peace for nothing? No, you, you only know peace when you know adversity on a high level. When you have run out of ways to turn, when all the lights are red and you're just waiting to go, you're gonna have to run a red light if you have to. You're gonna have to pay the fine, but the only fine you're gonna find is that you'll be just fine on the other side. You're gonna have to stop running away from the problem and face ahead on and say, come at me. You want peace in me? Let's go. You're gonna have to slow dance with fear and look at dead in the eyes and say, come on, dance, dance with me. Jack came forward has increased its sales by over 136%. My name is Travis Flaherty. We have seen over 55% increase in sales. So Jeremy Nowling here. We finished our month off at not even a 20% increase, but a 30% increase. Hey guys, Jean-Paul Guidry here. Now I've experienced massive increases of 156%, collectively 125%. My name is Kevin Strohsnyder. We went an increase of 50%. 50%. We went from 50 units to 75 units. We had a 39% growth in volume. This stuff works! I'm Glenn Lundy, creator of the 800% Club. The results that we've been getting out of the 800% Club are ridiculous. Everything that you just heard all happened in the first 90 days. So I wanna open this up, helping more dealers across the country. We're now enrolling for 800% Club members. So look, the time is now. It's time for you to protect your legacy. Head on over to 800EliteAutomotiveClub.com to learn more. Tell me what you wanna tell me. Show me what you're trying to show me. It's been said many times that the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure that you seek. Which way do you want to go? Hey, which way is fear pointing at? Go that way. You scared to talk to that person? Go talk to them. Face fear so head on that fear is afraid to face you. Face fear so head on that fear is afraid to face you. Some fear is good for you to be afraid of doing some things. But some of these things you're afraid of? No. Time. Ticking. Just like that. All the time we're wasting, still going. Waiting to do it on Monday, still going. Do you know how many people will not be here on Monday? Millions. Do you know how many new people will be here by Monday? Millions. Because that's the way it works. And you have already been chosen. And you were given your purpose. And the time is already now. So at what point do we switch from being happy to be here. Wow, look at me, I'm standing next to all these legends. Oh my God, I'm so happy to be here.
At what point are you going to switch from that and say, hold up, wait a minute. Why am I always next to legends? Wait a minute. Why am I always in that room? Wait a minute. Why does that keep calling my name? Wait a minute. So you're going to run out of minutes all throughout the world. Old men stand to their feet and their bones crack. Ah, okay, let's go. And then they cannot do what they could have done today. Cannot do it. Impossible now. Lowercase impossible, not uppercase impossible. Impossible. I cannot jump from where I am to the moon with no rocket. Impossible. But can I go to the moon? Yes, I can. Am I willing to do that work? Hells no. So therefore, I would never touch the moon in this life because I'm not willing to do all it takes to get to the moon. But will I get on the stage? Probably the O2 Arena, rock it out in front of about 70,000 people. It's possible. I'll be there. But will I do the impossible, the true impossible? As Ali said, impossible is just a big word for small people. Impossible is nothing. So that I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, has to change. It has to change to I think I can, I can, I will, I will, I must, I must, I will. Why? Because I'm willing to. I expect to win. I'm not just happy to be here. I am here. You are here. We are here. It's just like a map at the amusement park. You get lost sometimes and it says you are here. Points right there. Now, you orientate yourself to that. So rather than just pivot, remaining stuck in one spot, throw the whole thing away if it doesn't work, break it and remake it if it doesn't work, get rid of those old habits, break the old routines, find a new way to do the things, make a new model that renders the old model obsolete. Hey, Barbara, I see you back, Houdini, popping in and out. Hey, see Miss Doris here too. Hey, Barb, you said you had a great story to share about this. I think I can. I think let me pass it to you while it's still some time. You know, I mean, I first of all, I love that that's where you're coming from, because it just goes to that quote, whether you think you can or you think you can't. You're right. By Henry Ford. And, you know, oh, my gosh, if you can hear my kids in the background, I apologize. Um, you know, my just for me, it's just standing in my truth and knowing what I'm capable of, as opposed to what I I'm not capable of. And, um, you know, it just, it really speaks to the fact that we were standing on a stage with such legends yesterday, like you were talking about and not feeling like an imposter, not feeling like, how did I get here? How did I get here? Instead of saying, of course I'm, I'm here. And the value of that empowerment of understanding that we all have great worth and great value, um, just really speaks to me. And you had sent me that text afterwards and it was just, it, it really hit me. And that's just um, what I wanted to share. So thanks for including me. And I'm, I'm loving this conversation. And sorry about being a little Houdini every once in a while in the morning. Uh, but I love this conversation. Back to you, Alpha 6. Thanks, Goggins Majinski. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Laura, are you there? Hey, Alpha, I'm here. Good morning. Good morning, America. Please say it. Just say it one time. Good morning, America. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's so, <laughs> so, Laura, let me ask you, um, while you're coaching the mindset of these NBA players, is that not a factor that the expectation to win has to be there 
more than just the belief that I think I can and I must. Like, okay, you're running out of time. Remember the moment you were talking about with, uh, I think it was Golden State versus Golden State with the Clippers? Like, how did you get them to come back? Well, what I always say is I just plant the seed of belief inside of someone. So, uh, and also, I believe that if I'm within someone's proximity and I believe something, that I can shift that belief to them. So I do believe that we can do way more than we realize. So for me, it's like I wanted people to imagine the end of the game. So I always go to the end result and imagine it because, as you know, as we talked about a lot in this room and other rooms, you want to imprint that idea upon your subconscious mind. So now it's a memory. So it's a memory that you overcame a 31-point deficit and made the biggest comeback in NBA history. And if a couple people believe it seriously, they do the work until the others can also believe it because some people have to be dragged along into believing the impossible. And, you know, I believe the impossible. You know, I like to surround myself with Alice in Wonderland, and I think I can transfer that to other people and so they also can recognize their greatness and their divine spark. So does that answer the question? Very much so. Thank you, Laura. Definitely appreciate it. So it's 627. It's three minutes to go. I want to give you three questions. You probably won't be able to write them down, but really think about them. Number one question is, what are the possible reasons I'm noticing this symptom? Whether that symptom is to gain a little weight, you hate your job, whatever it is, right? What are the possible reasons I am noticing this symptom? What isn't happening, if it did happen, would cause the perceived gap, the symptoms, to either narrow or disappear? That's a really good question. What isn't happening? The next question and the last question is, what is happening that, if it stopped happening, would cause the perceived gap and the symptoms to narrow or disappear? That's two great questions back to back that are literally like the same question, except one factor changes. What isn't and what is. If I were to actually get up and actually do exercise and actually eat right, then this symptom that I'm looking at in the mirror changes almost by default. It's like it cannot be otherwise. We are living in a physical universe it is bound by laws that do not cease do not press pause do not take naps or go to the potty or anything else gravity does not cease for you it doesn't matter if you're a feather a quarter or a building or a plane nothing a planet nothing right it does not stop And if you are on this earth, you are not separate from nature. You are bound by nature. And if you think you're going to beat nature, then nature lasts last every single time. It will not happen. So what you do is you become friends and you work with the law. And when you work with the law, the law works with you and you win. You stop overcoming ignorance, which just means you do not know. And you start working with the laws that we are bound by anyway. You stop working on the symptom and we go for the root. And guess what? We win. We come down the mountainside like the little engine that could and deliver all the toys and the people celebrate and they say, wow, man, you did it. You could have done it yesterday. You could have did it 10 years ago, but at least you did it. At least you finally got on the track. At least you finally started your engine. At least you finally push over that last peak because the other side is easy. 
you build up enough of this momentum, you get that 2,000 some odd pound car of metal and glass moving, and guess what? Inertia will take care of the rest. Why? Because we live in a physical universe bound by laws, and one of those things is time. So it's 6.30. I appreciate your ears. I appreciate your knowledge. I appreciate you taking the time to listen. This is Breakfast with Champions, and I'm going to pass over to Brielle, but first, a little Michael Jackson. Thank you, Alpha. Over to you, Brielle. Good morning. Alpha, what an amazing segment. And Hannah, right before that, it was so good today. You know, I always believe that where you are is exactly where you're supposed to be. And that is something that I live by. I've lived by it for as long as I can remember when obstacles uh, get in my way or things happen in my life. I really believe that everything happens for a reason. And so the reason I share that with all of you today is because I do not think that it's a coincidence that Hannah discussed rejection, right? And Alpha uh, talked about moving into uh, new spaces. And for me, I want to talk about transition, right? I want to talk about the actual practical applications of how to get unstuck And even if you're not stuck, right, how do you move from one space to the next transition, movement, growth, right? So, again, I just don't think that anything is by chance. And I don't know who in this room needs to hear back to back to back a push to push you into the next level, a, you know, friend to hold you accountable, an arm or hand to literally say, come on, it's time. But clearly, God loves you the most. Because for the last two hours, maybe a little longer than that today, we have been talking directly to you. So I hope you're taking notes. I hope you're really here. And I hope that you're listening. And I hope that if you were not fully tuned in before now, you hear my voice. As I say, this was directly for you. Because it is not by chance. It is not a coincidence that three people who did not have a conversation whatsoever with each other are all here to push you into your next level. I mean, I've moved from multiple spaces in my life, right? I had a dream that I wanted more. And I know a lot of you know the story. Uh, I started in a you know, small city where I was pretty well known and I ventured to Los Angeles with $300 in hand, right? And changed my life, made a life and uh, created a legacy for my family. I transitioned from a corporate office with an amazing city view and six figures to an entrepreneurial journey, right? Starting from scratch with no role models in my industry, just really seeking to find out how I can do something different, right? How I could create the life that I saw, that I knew I deserved, that I knew that I wanted, right? And so now when we talk about your transitions, we're talking about how you transition into the life you desire from the life that you're in right now. Right. And so for some people, that's a huge grand gesture. You're looking at your life and you're saying, I want something completely different, Brielle. I don't want this anymore. And for others, you're like, I just want a little bit. I just want a little bit more. I'm pretty happy. I like everything around me. But if only I could have this thing, 
I think that I would be a little more fulfilled, right? So we're going to talk today about a couple steps, actual bullet points to taking action and moving into transition, right? It's a quick little list. Um, feel free to jot it down, remember it, whatever you need for it to implant in you. I hope it's helpful. But my first step in really transitioning into the life you desire from the life you're in is getting uncomfortable, right? Like really just feeling it. A lot of times we avoid those feelings. We avoid wanting to feel uncomfortable. I don't think that there is a feeling that we avoid more than discomfort because everything starts with discomfort. Fear, before you're afraid of something, you're, you're, you're uncomfortable, right? You have that, that feeling before you're really afraid. Most things start with uncomfortability. And so you got to get uncomfortable. You got to feel your discomfort when you want the change. You have to actually dig. And for me, a lot of those times when I want to feel uncomfortable and I want to get to the next level, I start to ask myself uncomfortable questions. I think Elsa had a really great question when he was talking about, you know, why not me? And when Barbara just now, when she talked about how we all sat in this room and I don't think any of us felt an air of I shouldn't be here, right? Start to ask yourself, not just why, why not me, but why am I here? Why am I in proximity to all of these people? And why do their lives look different than mine? Why have they arrived? Why have they not arrived? Start asking yourself those uncomfortable questions. If you're not quite sure, you know, what uncomfortable questions I'm talking about, um, I would say what excites me now, right? What excites me or doesn't excite me, right? What is absolutely boring to me now that I'm doing every single day that I hate, right? No one wants to think about the things that you really don't want to be doing, but let's think about those things because unless you start to dig up the things that are making you unhappy, you can't solve the pattern and stop the pattern and restart the pattern towards being happy right? What do I not want to do? No matter how much it's going to cost, what do I absolutely hate doing? Right? What am I willing to do for no money? That's an uncomfortable conversation because so many of us are doing things for free that we should be getting paid for. That's an uncomfortable question. What am I willing to do for free? What am I doing right now that other people are getting paid for that I'm not getting paid for? Right? That's a icky feeling sometimes like knowing that you're giving away your talents and time and services and really not getting what you should be getting in return. And although we sometimes make it more comfortable and make it warm and fuzzy, right? Like, oh, well, I'm doing this because there's a time and a place, right? Ask yourself those uncomfortable, what would I like to do for a lot of money, right? Money again becomes uncomfortable, but what would I really want to do and get paid really well for, right? Let's stretch our minds and say, what would I like someone to give me a million dollars for? What would I like to get paid a hundred thousand dollars for? What, what do I actually want? Because now when we ask those type of uncomfortable questions, we're stretching our, our inner thought process of, are we good enough to get that, right? It becomes uncomfortable, right? What do I really want? But what do I really, really want? What can I do better than anyone else? And again, are you getting paid for it, right? What have I always been good at? What are talents that I am not, what are talents that I think I have that I'm not that good at, 
what do I need to let go of? What am I not great at, but I spend a lot of time doing for no reason, right? What am I terrible at that I should not be doing at all, right? These are some of the questions that you want to ask yourself to really just start to get uncomfortable enough to make that move, right? Number two, as you start to ask yourself the uncomfortable question, the next thing you want to do is you want to, and what's helped me, is you want to start to look for the transition opportunity. You want to look for the opportunities to actually transition. And when I say look for those things, it's different than making a plan. You're literally looking and listening for opportunities you're seeking to do the work in. You're looking for the answers to the questions that you're asking, right? Now, the best way to ask those questions and to look for answers is to ask through a lens of gratitude, right? Gratitude solves everything. So what am I grateful for, right? What am I grateful for that can now shift me to uh, another dimension, right? So when we're looking for things, I am so grateful for the money that's coming towards me. I'm so grateful that I'm going to have an amazing day today. I'm so grateful that my friends and family love me more than anything else. And when we start to shift into that sense of gratitude, we don't realize it, but we're training our eyes, our minds, our brain to look for those opportunities. I'm so grateful for the love and abundance that I'll feel today. And now as you go throughout your day, you're seeing the patterns of love and abundance. I'm so grateful for endless ways to make more money. So now you've literally triggered and tricked your brain into seeing endless ways to make more money instead of, oh, how do I make more money? See how we asked ourselves uncomfortable questions and then we looked for the actual opportunity? You have a tremendous opportunity to reinvent your dealership today, right now, and to not take advantage of it would mean that everything that you just went through and are going through was in vain. How about instead we build something new like Kevin did in Virginia who was up 37% in April, or Mike in Wyoming who was up 90% in April, or Bob in Kentucky who broke a 60-year record this past January. All of these dealers join the 800% Club and together we continue to win. Listen, I've done this before. I've helped build a monster dealership from the inside out and now I want to build one with you. You and your team deserve it. So look, the time is now. It's time for you to protect your legacy. Head on over to 800EliteAutomotiveClub.com to learn more. How do I make more money is not the answer. The answer is, I'm so grateful for opportunities all around me that are going to allow me to make more money. I'm so grateful to sit in a room with Breakfast with Champions of people that have new innovative ideas. And one of these ideas today or this week is gonna be the thing to take me to the next level. I'm so grateful that I'm in the right place at the right time to get the right information that's going to catapult me into a new place in my life. That's very different than what what am I supposed to learn today, God, from Breakfast with Champions? Why am I here every day? Completely different mindset, completely different transitional thought process, completely different eyes. So we're literally creating new eyes, right? So again, step one is to get uncomfortable. Ask yourself those hard questions. 
really allow yourself to feel the pain and the triggers of where you don't want to be and where you versus where you should be. Right. Because if we don't really look at where we are, if we're not honest about how much is in our savings accounts, how much we actually want there, how we're really operating as parents, how we're doing as siblings, how we're doing as daughters or sons, right? How are we really living our life? Are we really being accountable to who we say we are? What are we doing when the lights are closed? Those are uncomfortable questions. And then we transition into, okay, if this is what I want, hey, thanks so much that this is coming to pass. I'm so grateful that my life is positioned because nothing is by chance. My life is positioned for the transitions that are about to happen, that are actually happening right now, right? And then number three, feed your mind the destination, right? You wanna start to feed your mind the actual destination. Once you've gotten uncomfortable, once you're looking for the opportunities, like literally changing and shifting into that gratitude space, you wanna feed your mind the destination. When I say feed your mind, I mean proximity is power, right? You wanna get into the proximity. If, if you want that corporate job, let's say, then you wanna walk by that office. You wanna sit in the office. You wanna surround yourself. You wanna go on LinkedIn and start to befriend and connect with people who have these positions. Because as you start to put yourself into proximity, then by default, you're gonna start to absorb the information. When you go on LinkedIn and you say, hey, I want to be, I want this position. And suddenly your Instagram feed, your LinkedIn, your clubhouse is nothing but people with these positions. You're going to start to learn how they think. You're going to start as you learn how they think to learn what they read. You'll learn the cadence in their voices. And as you begin to pick up these traits, you're literally creating the stimuli that's necessary to start to develop the habits. And as you develop the habits, like the people that are in proximity to the things that you want, you find yourself all of a sudden living that life. Now you have the tools, the skill sets to conquer and to master that next level because you've surrounded yourself with the tools that you needed to learn to get there, right? We're believing, the po- what is, we're believing in what's impossible, right? But what Alpha said earlier, I, I wrote it down, I really liked it. He said, you can't train off vapors, right? You cannot train off of vapors. There's no way. You have to surround yourself. You have to read the books. You have to literally feed your mind. If you go on your Instagram right now and you start scrolling and it's random friends and family from back home or other people, like those are not the images that you need to feed your mind to the next destination. What we're talking about is simple breakfast with champions. Every morning, even though, you know, I would argue breakfast is not the most important meal of the day. Every morning you eat a meal and you begin to nourish yourself for the day. That is the fuel and the energy that you are using to get throughout your day. It's the same thing with the images. When you get on Instagram, when you get on Clubhouse, when you get in proximity of your coworkers, right? You need to be feeding yourself conversations and images that are fueling you to the next destination. All of those things need to be in alignment with where you're going, because if it's not in alignment with where you're going, then you're going to be distracted with where you're at, right? Something so powerful that Laura talks about all the time is literally living in 
in La La Land, right? Living in the future. I believe in that. I literally live in the abundance of my future. And by living in the abundance of my future, I'm always prepared for what's next, right? Because I know where I'm headed. I know the destination, right? I don't feel uncomfortable around those that are greater or who have achieved more because I understand that that is just me. My future has just not caught up with me yet, right? Time is an illusion. It just has not caught up with you yet. Then if you're sitting there and you're feeling stuck, it means that you're living in your present tense of time, right? And that's a mind shift, right? That's feeding your mind your destination instead of feeding your mind where you're at. Nobody, we, we eat food that we're preparing, right? We buy food to prepare for the future. You go to the grocery store and you buy the food that you wanna eat today, tomorrow, or even in an hour. You buy the food that your body needs to nourish. So if we're operating like this in every other area of our life, right? We're going and we're purchasing our food so that we can consume it to be nourished in the future. Then why is it that the things around us, we are not putting there so that we can properly be nourished in the future? We're living in dead weight. We're putting things from our past, right? No one goes to the grocery store and buys yesterday's leftovers, right? We're not doing that. Who's doing that? Is anybody going to the grocery store and saying, hey, can I have yesterday's leftovers, please? I just want to sit there and stare at it. I want to eat it again today. I want to eat that. Sometimes it's so good, right, that we want to eat it again. But no matter what we say, we would still prefer a fresh cooked meal. And you get to choose what that fresh cooked meal is in your life. You get to choose what is next, what your next meal is. So when you're at the grocery store of life, you're deciding what is in proximity of your view, what is in proximity of your life. You get to pick what you put in your cart. And depending on what you put in your cart determines what your body looks like, what your mind, how alert your mind is, depending on what you put into your cart every single time you go to the grocery store, every single time you open Instagram, every single time you go through the Rolodex of your mind, depending on what you're putting in that cart determines what you look like tomorrow. Is everybody getting that concept? Does that make sense? Flash your mics if you're with me. Okay. Thanks, guys. All right. So depending on what you put in your cart determines what you look like tomorrow. And the only way to know what to put in your cart is to stay in proximity with what you really want, right? What you really desire to stay in, continue to operate in that gratitude, to stay in those layers of uncomfortability so that you know what it is that you need to eat to get to the next level, right? So after we ask the uncomfortable questions, after we, you know, decide that gratitude is really the answer, and after we place our mind on an actual destination, then we show up every single day, right? Every single day, we begin to create patterns and habits that champion us into that transition, that champion us into that next level, right? So only you know what habits you need to break and what habits you need to make to really make the transition into your life. But the thing that you need to look at more than anything else is gonna be your habits, right? What are the habits that, you're, that you have every single day? What is the pattern that you've been living in and operating in that you need to break? What is the cycle that you need to break? And so as you begin to break that cycle, with getting uncomfortable, right? With asking the right questions and with feeding your mind the destinations, only then 
are you going to be able to transition and really get unstuck? So we have about 12 minutes left. Um, I want to go into questions um, or comments. Anybody? Can I add something to you? Breathe. Yeah, I'll go for it. Okay, first of all, you are literally snapping, and I love it, right? You're going off. So think about this, right? I know you're going to get this. If you have to check the price tag, you probably still have work to do. Now yes. Think about that, right? If you, when, when I'm in, let's say I'm in Neiman Marcus and I'm buying a bottle of Creed Adventures, I don't know how much it costs. I know it's like 400 and something dollars for this bottle of Kuala. But we're not talking about that. They're talking about the top notes, the middle notes, the dry down. You're thinking about where you're going to wear it. So you're having a lovely conversation about all these things. And the person put the price on the thing. You already pulled your card. You already paid for it. You didn't even talk about it. The receipts in the bag, they wrap it so they wrap it so nicely. And you're already out the store. But that's what the biggest dreams are like. If you're checking the price tag, you probably got a lot of work to do. So I love, love, love this segment that you just put on. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, that's so good, Alpha. I mean, I think that even what he's saying for me, number four, right? Principle number four is really don't wait for someone to give you control, right? You don't don't wait for someone to say, oh, okay, you can you can buy that. You know, you can afford that. No, you know internally what you need to do to get to that next level, right? You're not, we're not looking at prices. We're not asking for permission. We're not questioning, hey, what do you think about that to anyone else around us, right? You're deciding in this moment. Because again, in the beginning of the segment, we talked, this is for somebody because there's no reason that we've all talked about the same things. So this is your moment. You're deciding in this moment that you control the process, you control the results, and that you're going to take the action necessary to get to that transition point, to get out of whatever state of stuckness you are. Because stuck isn't a real thing, right? Stuck is not a real thing. You are not stuck. You are not a tree. I don't remember who said it, but you're not a tree, right? Move. There's no reason. You are not stuck. That, that's literally a construct of your brain. It's not real. No one, period. So I'm just going to dismantle that for you right now. If anyone is sitting here and you're just like, I just don't know what to do. I feel so stuck in my situation. Like stuck is not real. So the moment that you really internalize that stuck is not real, that you are not stuck, that if your blood is flowing in your body and you woke up today, you have the freedom of choice to do something else right? Like, we're just going to dismantle that because stuck is not real. So again, um, yeah, Alpha, that's great. What else? Anybody? Hey, Brielle, it's Vernita. I'd love to jump in. Hey, Grand Rising, Vernita, take it away. No, thank you for this segment, Brielle. Absolutely outstanding. Uh, Vernita Dell here. Sorry, I have some construction outside if there's some background noise. Um, but what I wanted to touch on was, well, you said a lot of things. Um, but I think what jumped out to me the most today was what do I, what would I like to do? What do I want to do? And I think for myself, part of my journey has been to untangle what is it that I think that I have to do or what I think other people expect me to do or just really overall living for someone else. And there's a big difference. There's a huge difference between what is it that I have to offer, which could just be built on skill sets, 
and previous training, there's a big difference between what I have to offer and what I would like to offer, what I would love to offer, what I am passionate about contributing to the world. And so uh, those definite things definitely stuck out to me today for anyone in the room. If you feel like you are in a place where you have to do, you do not have to do anything in living for someone else. The best thing that we can do to make a contribution to other is to fully step into our greatness, living for ourselves. And in living for ourselves, we authentically are able to give the most that we have to offer. So what is it that you would like to offer? What would you like to do? I love that. Vernita done speaking for the moment. Hey, Brio and everyone. This is Lolita. Brio, hey, are you going to jump in? Oh, great. Um, this was your best segment yet. I absolutely loved it. Um, you could tell you were all in your passion and this is your purpose. I absolutely loved it, Brielle. Great job. Listen, the thing that stuck out to me um, while you were talking was just this notion of the shopping cart. I loved it. I love it because what you can imagine is that you're choosing to put things in your shopping cart that's going to nourish you right? That's going to feed you. What are folks reading? I love that you said that. How are folks maneuvering? The folks of have gotten where you want to get. And that might not always be financially. That just might be just moving in the world. And so I love that you use that cart because it's choice. As you're going through the grocery store, it's choice. When you put the whole bag is full with sweets, the whole cart is Field, you already know what that's going to do to your body. And it's okay if you choose that, but you choose that. And I also love the cart because you can also choose to pick things back up out of your cart and put them right back on the, on the yes. shelf. It's important. And so that there goes to the whole principle. I mean, I talk about a train, you talk about a cart, but there is a choice on when you open up the doors on your train and allow people to get off on your cart analogy right there. When you do that, you make a choice to get those things out of your life that are no longer serving you. And that is why it's so good. That is why when we talk about adversity, everyone goes through adversity. The choice is what next? I love the questions that you did. I love the questions that Alpha gave because it, it challenges your mind differently. When you go into, look, there's a difference of going into the grocery store hungry, right? Absolutely. There's a difference of going into the grocery store and not having a clue on what you're going to get. You end up with junk in and junk out. You end up with too much. You end up with stuff that's going to go sour in your refrigerator and having to throw it out. Be choiceful. So I tell you, Brielle, this right here was awesome. Thank you so much. And I think everything pulled it together today. This is Lolita with a T. Thank you, Hey, Laura. How are you, Brielle? Oh, my gosh. I'm so freaking inspired. I'm so inspired by everything you said. I took some great notes. And the quote about the tree is one of my favorite quotes. But what you said about um, your stagnation, how you're never stuck, it made me think about all the trillions. And maybe we can, we can go here, right? Our body is constantly in motion. Trillions of things are happening, blood flowing, you know, uh, neurons are firing, et cetera. So, so much is always happening within our body that even if we feel like we're stuck, nothing else about us except our mind is stuck. So we can always overcome that by doing the next thing. And I woke up stuck yesterday. I don't know why, just about stuck. And so I told myself, you know what? Like like Bernita said, I didn't need to do anything. I said, just start with a cup of coffee. Because one of my favorite quotes is, go as far as you can see and you will see further. So go yes. as far as you can see and you will see further. And then, uh, you know, Alpha, about not asking the price tag, I finally got to the point where I could just go to Whole Foods and buy what I wanted and not think about the price tag. 
And one day this girl rang up something and I was like, why is that $30? It was like a pair of uh, a package of chocolate covered apricots or something. And it was funny because I realized I hadn't noticed that I didn't think about the price anymore. So I don't walk in the Neiman's or Saks and not look at the price, but I'm getting there. So Brielle, thanks for inspiring all of us. I appreciate you. Hey listeners, if you enjoy listening to Breakfast with Champions, we can bet you care about your daily routine. Do you want to know the secret to the perfect routine? It's the perfect morning. Glenn has written a free ebook called The Morning Five, five simple steps to an extraordinary morning. If you can transform your morning, you can transform your life. Head on over to themorning5.com to learn more about the five ways you can change the way you start your day. Yeah, Whole Foods is expensive. I don't know, girl. You might be on your own on that one. Don't you do it. <laughs> but um, I, yes, you know, I think it's such a, the the grocery store, it's such a analogy for me with life. And I, too, I love that you are not stuck. You are not a tree. But what I got from what you just said, Laura, overall, was that an object in motion stays in motion, right? So think about it. If your whole body is literally in motion, right, all we have to do is do one thing. We have to move one thing, like you said, at a time, because your body is going to stay in motion, right? And then if we stop, it's us. It's literally our brain that's stopping because our body is in motion. That is so good, Laura. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Are you still taking shares, Brielle? Yeah, go for it. Oh, awesome. This is Naida. Um, so I just, in synthesizing what you said, number one, get comfortable. Two, look for the transition, transitional opportunity. Three, feed your mind. And then four, get unstuck. I was beginning to kind of see what a journey, a possible journey for me or anyone else would look like. And it starts with an awareness, moves into action and organization, and then visualization in the feed your mind. And then in you visualizing where you're going to be, you are able to identify where it is you're going to go with regards to proximity, what type of diet you need, mental diet, perhaps physical diet, perhaps level of exercise that you need. And then to get unstuck is just to start moving, go in motion and keep moving that you're not a tree. Duh, of course I'm not. I don't know, Brielle, you just have a way of words, I guess. <laughs> so thank you for sharing. No, it's good. No, this I appreciate so the recap. Um, I know that it was helpful for everyone and especially for those who might've come in late. So thank you for the recap. Guys, we are about two minutes lit away from the great, the honorable David Spizak. So I'm excited uh, for him. Uh, if anybody else is a share, feel free to share my last thing that I just want to share with you guys is, or you guys and gals, is really um, next time, you know, you go into a grocery store, really come to mind, right? Think about this analogy, but really think about and realize that this is how we operate our life. You have an opportunity every single day to choose. You get to choose, like we said, what's in your cart, but more than anything, you get to choose what grocery store you go to. You get to choose what side of town um, that grocery store is in. You get to choose what you wear when you show up, which will dictate who you meet or don't meet, whether people speak to you or don't speak to you, right? How we do little things is how we do everything. And so there's so many day-to-day, everyday life activities that we can emulate, that we do on the outside, that we can then emulate and figure out, okay, how am I doing this inside? How do I operate in myself? Because again, stuck is just a state of mind. It's not real. 
we go through all of these external movements every single day and we're able to complete these movements. But it's the same thing. We have to learn to take the external habits that we have mastered because we see them, right? We're mastering these habits because we're watching people do them. And so they're the normal thing to do in our cultural society. But now we have to figure out internally why we're not taking the same care of our mental health as we are of our physical body. And how do we transition the regular habits that we do day to day and start creating them in the frame of mind so we can master our minds. So, David. Brielle, how are you? I'm amazing. I'm so happy you that you're here. You are amazing. You I'm are excited. amazing. Thank you so much. I appreciate, as always, the opportunity to be at the breakfast table with you and everybody else. Uh, whether you're on the stage or whether you're in the garden, uh, we appreciate you uh, more than you could ever imagine. And um, like Brielle, like Alpha, like Barbara, like Glenn, like everybody that's, uh, that's here every day that takes the time, uh, it is my sincere uh, honor to be here. And it's my sincere hope uh, that I will add value um, in exchange for you being so kind as to taking the time to come to the breakfast table. So, uh, Brielle, I thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'm, uh, I'm going to be followed at the bottom of the hour by uh, the one and only Alpha Six. And um, we're both going to be talking about something. And Alpha, please feel free to jump in uh, as I start forward in this next 30 minutes. Um, but I know it's something that's very near and dear to our hearts and to a lot of people out there. This Sunday is Father's Day. <clears throat> I have been blessed. Uh, not once, twice, or three times, but four times. I have three sons and I have a daughter. And I've also been blessed uh, to have some separation between my first two and my last two. Um, and what I mean by that is I've got Fatherhood 1.0, Chapter 1, and I've got Fatherhood 2.0, Version 2.0. And that's been really important to me because in between 1.0 and 2.0, I had 27 years of living and including some ups and some downs, uh, in, including a divorce, which was tough to go through. Um, you know, I, I came up in, a, in tough circumstances. I didn't know what a, a, a normal family was. And I grew up um, dreaming of being able to create, uh, you know, a wonderful family and having that, that you know, prototypical uh, family out there where you have mom and dad and you've got kids and and um, you you're living in peace and harmony and I had not experienced that so it was important to me so it, it was a, it was a heartbreak um, to uh, see that not happen after 20 years or 21 years but as we were speaking earlier as Hannah was talking about adversity defeat uh, and failure and the great Zig Ziglar said you know, failure is an event, not a person. It's really important that we all remember that. Failure is simply something that happens. And it's not even something that happens to us. It happens for us. And so I got the great pleasure and the blessing of Fatherhood 2.0. I've got uh, a wonderful daughter, Elise. She's 37, going to be 38 this year. My son will be 34 in August, uh, Trey. My uh, son, Jackson will be seven in September, and young Jagger just turned five in May. And they're all different. Um, and this is how it always is. God seems to give us 
kiddos that grow up in the same circumstances, same environment, learning the same lessons, hearing the same things, and they end up being who they are. And that's a beautiful thing. And, and so I would love to just honor uh, the blessings I've been given. I'd like to honor uh, Father's Day, if I may, uh, just by touching on not just fatherhood, but also some leadership lessons, things that when you're, when you're a parent, um, just like when you're put in a manager's position or a leadership position, there's so many things that, that at the same time as you're trying to teach people, you're learning. And so I've learned so much from being a father. And I learned everything I needed to know about being a father uh, from my own circumstances growing up. And, and for anybody that knows my circumstances, they may, may sound very strange because I had a father, but I didn't have a dad. Um, and he walked out on us and it was the best thing he ever did when I was about 10 and I had uh, four siblings. I'm the middle of five. Um, I literally knew as a child that if I simply did the opposite of everything literally he did, that I would be by default um, a really good dad on my way to being a great dad. And so, um, you know, it's such a massive responsibility that we all have when we're parents or when we're managers or when we're caretakers of somebody. And that is certainly the case is, is being a father. And as I mentioned, there is a huge difference between being a father and being a dad. I have found in my life in the 61 and a half years I've been on this earth, <clears throat> I have found that oftentimes people fall in love with the ideal of something, but not the reality of something. So, for example, oftentimes you may see somebody who's just completely in love with the ideal of uh, being engaged and getting married. They're not quite as enthusiastic about being a partner or being married, uh, you find at times. And the same thing in, in parenthood. You know, being a father is biological. Um, that's that's just nature, right? Um, but being a dad means that you're committed uh, to being there uh, every single moment you can. It means that you're committed to being uh, present. I have a role. When I'm at work, I'm 100% at work. I'm single-minded focused. And when I'm, I'm, when I'm at home, I don't deviate from being a partner or being a dad uh, so that I could be 100% present for my wife or 100% present for my kiddos. And, and that's really, really important uh, to me. I know it's important to them. In fact, we just came back from a vacation, Alpha, in Montana. I've never been to Montana. I've never been to a dude ranch. And anybody uh, who knows me could not possibly imagine, imagine David and dude ranch occurring in the same sentence. But I will tell you something. Not only was it magnificently beautiful, uh, geographically, it was the single best trip we've ever had. My wife and I both, uh, there's no question in our mind. And, and it was also the best trip for our kids. And I asked my, my son, my oldest one of the younger one, uh, Jackson, six and a half. I said, Jackson, we did so many things. You tried so many new things this week. What was your favorite thing? <clears throat> you know what he told me, Alpha? He said, my favorite thing was being with my family. And I thought, really? 
So you did archery. I'm thinking you did archery for the first time. You rode a horse for the first time. You went fishing in a pond for the first time. We went out on a lake fishing. We did a million things that you'd never done before. I said, but you're with your family all the time at home. He said, but dad, he said, you weren't working. He said, I got to spend time with you and uh, for the whole week. And while I did work, while he was doing his activities, he didn't see me working. Uh, every time he wasn't in an activity, I was with him. I was with his brother. I was with his mom. So that in and of itself was just such a huge statement. And it just reaffirmed to me that sometimes we forget. We know how important it is to be a great dad. I know that. I take it so seriously. But as seriously as I take it, that was just such a massive statement that reminded me of how important it was to him and to his brother. So, you know, I've, I've learned a lot of lessons uh, in the course of being a dad. I've been a dad for almost 38 years now. Um, and I'd like to just share a number of those lessons, if I may, uh, with you as I move towards the bottom of the hour. I want to do this in as rapid fashion, and I apologize. But I want to do it as, as, in as rapid fashion as possible because before I wrap up at the bottom of the hour, I would love uh, to do as Hannah did, um, what Brielle did, and, and others and engage the audience uh, and listen to what you have to say in terms of your own experiences. So, you know, the first thing that I really, my wife and I both really are, in, are really intentional about is being intentional as parents, being intentional about how we grow our, our boys into being uncommon men. You know, our, our goal when we had our first little one, uh, Jackson, was to have him uh, raised to be an uncommon man. And it's literally on his wall. It's, there's something I read to him every single day of his life uh, when I put him to bed or, or we put him to bed. And, and so... That was number one, is from the moment he was born, the moment that his brother Jagger was born, uh, was to have a target, to have a goal, to be an uncommon man, uh, to treat people with dignity and respect, to be a good citizen, um, to treat women uh, with respect, to treat all people equally. Um, and the, the second thing was we literally... And we found that, you know, while he did very well at a number of things academically in his young life so far, and when it comes to sports, one of the things that we noticed is that when he didn't feel like he could compete on something or do something at the highest level, he would walk away from it. Uh, frustration. He didn't want to put himself in a position to lose. And so we literally took the time to teach him about the importance of failing and, and the, the lessons that failing teaches us. And so, you know, and that's something that transcends fatherhood into business life. And we spoke about it earlier in Hannah's hour about the power of failure 
the power of adversity. <clears throat> the next thing was practicing patience. Man, anybody out there who's a parent knows if you don't have patience, you are going to have a very hard life as a parent. Nearly every parent in the world at some point has had the words, how many times have I told you, come out of their mouth. Um, the kid never is going to be able to answer that question accurately, let's be honest. It's not fair to even ask him the question. Remember how many times that we often say the same thing over and over and over. And so we have to go into parenting, I've learned, with humility and with grace and with patience and with gentility and with kindness. And that was a hard lesson for me early on in my youth because I was a young guy with kids. You know, I had my uh, both of my my older kids in my uh, by the time I was about my mid 20s. And and so I had too much intensity back then. I didn't have the patience. I didn't have this, the discipline myself uh, in order to be able to uh, be as good of a father as I would have loved to have been uh, at that time. Uh, thankfully, I learned over time. And because of that, I have an incredible relationship I always have with my two older kids, and that's a massive blessing. Third thing is kindness. I spoke about gentility and grace. Well, you can't have gentility and grace without having a big, big dose of kindness in there. Um, the, the fourth is being a team player. So whether, whether they have siblings, as mine do, uh, I two and two, um, uh, and my two boys are 20 months apart, so they are together all the time. Um, and my wife is Persian, and I, I nicknamed my kids earlier on at times. No, I never said it to them, but uh, my wife and I, we call them Iran and Iraq. And if you know anything about Middle Eastern history, Iran and Iraq engaged in a 5,000-year war. Think about that. Think about every war you've ever heard of, Civil War, Revolutionary War, World Wars. Think about the length of time they lasted. None of them came even close uh, to being a 5,000-year war. What was that argument about, man, that you had a 5,000-year war? So these kids were literally at each other's throat uh, as little guys being very territorial and, um, and just, man, going after each other. They've grown into being such incredible brothers and uh, partners um, because they've learned how to be team players. And frankly, one of the silver linings of the pandemic is that's what happened during the pandemic. They were with each other all the time. They got homeschooled, uh, you know, distance learning. So they're with each other literally all the time. They're in the same classroom for the entire year. And that just showed me how how amazing it is when you see teamwork develop, you, whether it's your people that work with you, work for you, uh, whether you're on a sports team, coaching a sports team, or whether you have little ones. Hey, champions, guess what? The Breakfast with Champions podcast airs live every single day, 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. only on the Clubhouse app. So make sure to download Clubhouse and go check out Breakfast with Champions. You're not going to regret it. See you there.
uh, or even, even teenagers. That teamwork is critical. I mentioned I have four brothers and sisters. I mentioned we had a brutal, brutal childhood. But as I was sharing with somebody yesterday, they said, well, how, how is everything with your siblings now? I said, it's amazing. It always has been because we've, we've banded together through everything. And so now as the oldest one is uh, this year is going to be 65, uh, I'll turn 62, my brother 63, uh, and, then, and then we have a uh, 47 and a, and a 43. Um, we, we are, man, we are thick. We are just such, we're so tight, the bond that we have. And, and that's, that's something that, you know, is just priceless. Uh, massive blessing. Um, not panicking. Man, the first time you have a baby, seems like panic is just living in your household because you don't know what to do. You can read all the books in the world. Um, I remember my wife, who's a brilliant physician, she must have read a thousand books on parenting, and I kept telling her, please stop reading. Please, I'm begging you to please stop reading because every one of those books is right and they're all wrong. And the reason being is I said, here's the problem with every one of those books. The baby doesn't read the book. So the baby doesn't know it's supposed to act in concert with what this author said or what this author said. One of them's telling you to raise them like a German. Uh, the other one's telling you to raise them in the French manner. The other one's telling you how to raise them like Dr. Spock says. I mean, it's all over the map. So, and the reality is, they're all right and they're all wrong. Every one of us as parents runs into situations that we literally think, I have no idea what's the right thing to do here, but we just figure it out. And so I've learned over time that not to panic. I'm, I'm so much more chill this second time around. I know things will kind of figure themselves out and things will happen as they're supposed to happen. Um, and so it's not like you take your hand off the wheel and say, hey, universe, raise my children. It's not that at all, but you just have appreciation that there is a higher power in, in our lives and that, that we will be given the information we need at the time we need it to be able to ultimately handle every situation, no matter how challenging, how difficult uh, it might be. Um, repetition. I mentioned the fact that you got to practice patience. And as a result of that, I mean, that be, one, one of the reasons why is because we have to practice practice. Um, we have to teach our children the power of repetition. And so it's not just a matter of us saying the same thing over and over again uh, for the sake of it. And by the way, uh, one of the things I also learned is the massive difference between the number of times a child, according to a UCLA study, I, I looked this up must have been 25 years ago. But according to a UCLA study, the difference in the number of times a child hears the word yes versus the time a child hears the word no in the first five years of their life, it's so massive, it's no wonder that we have at times this feeling that we do about rejection or about adversity. So it's, it's so difficult. One of the most difficult things I've had to learn and I'm still trying to learn as a dad is to find a way other than just saying no and to reframe something um, so that it is done in a more positive 
learning type of a context rather than just saying, no, you can't do that. No, don't touch that. No, no, no. Um, the next thing um, is self-discipline. And this is one that's extremely tough for children. It takes time for them. And we've got to give them the time um, in order to learn. And it's our hope as parents that by the time they get to be adolescents uh, and getting into being teenagers and beyond, that they learn the power and the importance of self-discipline, of restraint. And, and so that's something that we've, we really focus on a lot as parents today. Teaching them to have a passion. You know, um, our kids, like many people's kids, are doing so many activities. I mean, they've tried pretty much every sport you can imagine that, that kids at their age can try. Um, they're just starting piano lessons now. Uh, we've done, we've got them in Taekwondo. We, you know, we've, we put them in every type of activity you can imagine, STEM, science, Legos, like you name it. And we don't want to force them into one direction or not. I've seen far too many parents, um, that are trying to live through their children. And I understand, I understand, uh, why, but we just really feel like it's so important to allow them to develop, uh, to be the best versions of themselves, not the best versions of miniature us's. And, and so we want to do everything we can to help them discover a passion or multiple passions. And along with that side by side is finding a purpose in their life. I'm so uplifted and I'm sure you are too. Every time you see a news story, something on TV, something on uh, somebody's posted on social media where some young person has taken it upon themselves at the age of eight, you know, or nine or 10 to go gather coats for people that don't have them in the wintertime or to do a food drive because they're driven to do it or to do a toy drive during the holidays or whatever they can do. There's that young young lady that, that became incredibly well-known for her drive in uh, when it has to do with uh, climate change. Whether you believe in climate change or not is immaterial. Um, uh, there's science behind it. Clearly, there's some things going on. I don't know what. I'm not a scientist. But the fact that this young lady wanted to make sure that for her, for the kids around her, and for future generations, that she was doing what she could at the age of 12 uh, is pretty extraordinary. So um, having children find a purpose, man, watch what it does to their energy, their enthusiasm, their uh, activating their minds, um, their energy, their confidence, their self-esteem. Uh, it's really, really extraordinary when they discover they have the power to positively influence or positively impact somebody in the world. And last but not least um, is get small. I've learned as a dad how important it is for me to get small. Um, you see, I remember as a kid uh, how physically imposing my father was, and he made sure that we knew. Um, he was a violent, uh, master manipulator, king of the narcissist, uh, 
just emotional warfare, psychological warfare, uh, physical uh, with us. And and when you looked up as a little kid to this dude, he was one big imposing guy. <clears throat> and I was often reminded of that as a dad. And so one of the things I've learned is to get down on the ground. If I'm going to teach a lesson, I could either teach it standing up, looking down at them, or I could get on the ground and look um, directly eye level to them. And if I get small, and if I lower my voice, and I speak more softly, I was mentioning to somebody a, a while ago, I posted a couple months ago, <clears throat> if you have a strong message, you only need to whisper. You don't need to raise your voice. If you think about it, whenever you're encountering somebody who's raising their voice, you immediately know that their message is weak. Um, it's not strong. And so I've learned over time to get small, get quieter, um, and to be able to take the time to exercise patience and remember um, who it is that I'm dealing with, how important it is that what we're doing as parents, and how much every interaction has the potential of impacting our boys. So with that, I'd like to open it up. I would love to hear anybody's lessons from fatherhood um, that, that is out there. And frankly, you know, whether you're a man or you're a woman, um, we learn lessons of motherhood just by osmosis from hanging out with our, with our partners. So it, the same goes for fatherhood. So anybody want to jump in before I pass it on to uh, Alpha? I'll jump in, David. It's Lauren Lavender. Thank you Hi, for those words. Hi, David. Good to see you this morning. Thank you for being you here well. and, and, and dropping all of this knowledge like you always do. But this one was really, it was vulnerable, but it was practical. And, it, and I know it resonated with so many people and, and ultimately it was relatable. So thank you. You said something that just like knocked me off my feet, which is that kids, and, and, I, and I took it further to everyone, you have to be good at practicing practice. And I never thought about that, but that is what the journey of life is. Most of it isn't the Super Bowl. Most of it is practice. Most of it is getting really good at the hard stuff and mastering your time and your skills so that when it is game time, we're ready to roll. And I never really thought about that with parenting, but you're so right. Every day is really practicing our practice so that we get really good and we're always ready for that Super Bowl. And I thought that was so powerful. So I just had to share. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lauren. I appreciate that so much. You know, it's funny you say that because when I was affiliated with the 49ers and you look at mini camp starting in March, training camp starting in June, uh, working up to cutting down to a 52 person roster at that time. And then you would go into the season and you would practice, uh, they'd practice, um, all day during the week, um, they, they would uh, practice, uh, they would watch film on Mondays um, about every single thing, tiniest thing that happened in the game the previous day. Um, they would then uh, have their plan for the next uh, opponent. They would start practicing against a practice squad that was supposed to mimic that opponent on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday. 
um, on Saturday uh, was a light practice, or if it was a, a away game, we would uh, fly on a Friday, get there in the evening, practice at their stadium on a Saturday, and then game time Sunday. And what do you do before the game? You practice. You go out. If any of you have ever gone out to a football game two hours, three hours earlier, what are they doing? They're practicing. Well, the thing that's so interesting about about what you said, Lauren, is that if you think about it in the course of, the, of their week, there's 168 hours. And what you said is spot on. The game is one hour long. Yes, it's three hours on TV, but it's not a three hour game. It's one hour long. And they're practicing all during the week for a one hour game. And it's the same thing you write for us in life. We're practicing all the time uh, for these bigger events that we do, our games, our, our playoffs, our Super Bowls. And whether that's a meeting, a presentation, you know, a sales interaction, uh, a leadership meeting, whatever it might be. So I thank you for that contribution. Anybody else? Yes, David, this is Naida. I have a quick question for you. Of course, thank you. <laughs> thank you. You mentioned that there are other ways of just saying no and that we should probably, as parents, kind of find those creative ways. I'm sure you feel the same about uh, the response, I told you so. So yeah. in, <laughs> in those- How did um, that ever work out well? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> in those responses though, have you noticed a shift in how your children respond to those adjustments that you make as a parent? Yes, I, I do. And we have, because when we criticize them, um, they come away thinking that they are bad or they did something bad. And think about that for a moment. If they did something wrong, whatever it might be, and we simply criticize that, then all we've done is really put a direct hit on their self-confidence, their self-esteem, uh, their belief in themselves, their faith. Uh, but what have they learned from that? You know what they've learned? That they did something wrong. And so they're going to replay that, whether you realize it or not. They're going to replay that in their mind. We hear about PTSD more and more and more these days. Brielle was just talking about taking care of our mental health. Well, one of the ways that we could take care of our children's mental health is not create mental health issues. So, you know, those things are, some of those mental health issues are born out of their circumstances, their environment, how they were treated and how they were raised. I know this firsthand. I've seen it and I've lived it uh, my whole life. So instead of criticizing them and telling them just simply what they did wrong or just saying no, which says you can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't a million times, more than half a million times in the first five years of their life, I can't. And then we're trying to teach them the rest of their life, hey, no, you can do it. It's like, wait a minute, you spent the first five years telling me I can't. So it, you notice a significant shift in the response because they are learning. And we literally have something on the mirror where they get ready in the morning that shifts their language, uh, their mental language from I can't to before I didn't know how to do this, but because of this, now I can't. 
And, and as a result of that, we noticed that they assimilate those lessons. I'll tell you what, children are freaking brilliant. They're so much smarter than, than we sometimes give them credit for. They notice everything, they assimilate everything. They're, they're a lot like employees. If you have employees that are frontline employees, receptionists, assistants, uh, valets, support people, don't underestimate them. They know when you came into work, they know when you leave, they know how long your lunch is, they know how you treat everybody, they know if you're consistent in your application of, of, uh, you know, um, of the rules of the business. Kids notice everything. And so one of the keys to being a great dad is to love the mom. Even if you don't agree with the mom every time, what does that have to do with loving the mom or showing your children how much you respect their mom, right? How much you value their mom. That's a key to being a great dad. So yes, have absolutely noticed that, Naida. Hey, David. Thanks for the question. Yes. It's Bezak. This is Glenn Lundy up here in the top left corner. Oh, man, the king of the dads. How are you, <laughs> I am great, sir. I am great. You know, I read an interesting study uh, that falls right in line exactly with what you're talking about. And in this study, it talks about how, like in our school systems, we can take a test, right? You take a 20-question test, and if you get 17 answers right and three answers wrong, then we immediately focus on the three answers that we got wrong, right? Your teacher puts a big red X on those and says, redo those, uh, you got those wrong, why did you get those wrong? And so they did a study and they found that the kids actually learned more if instead of focusing on the three that they got wrong, you take the time to go through the 17 that they got right. And by going through the 17 that they got right, it unlocks parts of their brain that help them to realize why they got the other three wrong. And so, hey, Oakland, hold on, baby, I'm talking. And so uh, it was just me and one kid when I unmuted. Now it's me plus three. Um, <laughs> they're, they're that's how we're, they heard my voice and the uh, vibration drew them over here. Jack came forward has increased its sales by over 136%. My name is Travis Flaherty. We have seen over 55% increase in sales. So Jeremy Downing here. We finished our month off at not even a 20% increase, but a 30% increase. Hey guys, Jean-Paul Guidry here. Now I've experienced massive increases of 156%, collectively 125%. My name is Kevin Sturrisnatter. We went an increase of 50%. 50%, we went from 50 units to 75 units. So we got a 39% growth in volume. This stuff works! I'm Glenn Lundy, creator of the 800% Club. The results that we've been getting out of the 800% Club are ridiculous. Everything that you just heard all happened in the first 90 days. So I want to open this up, helping more dealers across the country. We're now enrolling for 800% Club members. So look, the time is now. It's time for you to protect your legacy. Head on over to 800EliteAutomotiveClub.com to learn more. Uh, but something we're trying to focus on in the let Oakland, Oakland, I love your voice. Can you save it for just a minute? Something that we're trying to focus on here in the Lundy House is spending as much time as humanly possible reiterating the things that they are doing right and celebrating the things that they are doing right. 
And so they can feel and experience if their vibration is off or if what we want to call they're doing something wrong, for lack of a better word. Um, they can experience that and learn from their positive actions versus learning from their negative actions. And it's really been a game changer in our house. And uh, I just wanted to add that to this very valuable conversation. So thanks, David. I love that. I love that. I love that. I believe that with all of my heart. And isn't it interesting to that point, Glenn, if, if you've ever been in a work environment, all of, all of us have been in a work environment. If you've been an employee and you do a 1,000 tasks this month, 998 of them you did perfectly two you had mistakes what is your boss most likely to focus on the two mistakes not the 998 things you did brilliantly right and and, and we we notice that in ourselves we tend to give ourselves instead of saying man i've done a thousand things really well this month uh no we focus on the five things that we screwed up on right and then that kind of infiltrates our brain so it's so interesting you said that. I believe it with uh, all of my heart. Thank you for sharing that. And with that, I want to uh, turn it over to my friend Alpha Six. Hey, David. Wow. Um, speaking about, I believe the most valuable thing to my heart. I've always said if the tombstone read, he was a good man, but he was a great father, then that's it, right? Everything else was a bonus. In the beginning, you talked about... Um, being in love with the ideal, looking at a father and thinking he should be what you imagine him to be. I remember looking at my daughter and saying, you probably won't know my life because you will only see my life in the conjunction of how it has benefited your life, how I have loved you, who I've been to you. At some point you're looking up at me and one day you'll be looking across from me and hopefully because I'm still here. My father's father passed away when he was nine years old. A lot of what he did as a father, I was like, dude, what is the deal here? Later in life, I find out that his father, in the sense of who raised him, a man named Johnny Throne, was his grandfather. And his grandfather was born in the late 1800s. And he was born deep in Alabama at the end of the worst thing that has happened to mankind which is human beings being chained and treated like they were not human beings. And he was taught to play small and look down at his feet, never try to be too much because it could get you literally killed. So my father grew up in abject poverty with holes in the floor. Men would, I don't want to call them men, people would show up in white sheets and stand outside their doors and burn crosses in their front yards to scare them away from poverty as if they should just go live in the woods. So his ambition to survive and get somewhere came from his desire to escape that world that he never asked to be a part of. So the way he would respond to simple things was, to me, way over the top. My father was both an apostle and a drill sergeant, a sergeant major in the army. If you can imagine the combination of making your bed till you can bounce a quarter on it and also happen to be morally upright, I could do the things the other children did that were normal but they were not normal for me because I was his son. With that, I watched this thing by Tony Robbins called I'm Not Your Guru. And this lady was blaming her father for so much. And Tony got right in her face and said, if you're going to blame him for all that stuff, you better blame him for the good stuff too. When I look at life and I see the approach I have for making sure things are 
squared away in the gig line is straight. I know my father taught me that. I never one time heard my, my father complain, like ever. I've, I've seen him stand at his own mother's funeral and do the eulogy, but also his brothers and sisters until he was one of two left out of seven. I've seen him travel across the world, even when I went to visit him in 2019 after having not seen him my whole adult life. He was about to apologize and I put my hand on his hand. I said, sir, if we were still there, I wouldn't even be here. We're already free from that. Let's do what we can do now. And I say that because, you know, there's a story and I think the book is called When Friends Influence People, um, something like that. It's a story called Father Forgets, and he talks about how his son so excitedly to see him and always waving, goodbye, daddy. But every chance he was correcting him and fix your shirt and don't get off your knees. You're going to put holes in your stockings. And as he looked at him laying in his bed, he said, I realize you're still a baby. And the father forgets because he was once a boy, too. So whenever my father wouldn't be the person I imagine him to be, the idealist, you would say, I had to find different people to look to, people who reminded me more of myself than what I was seeing around me. Maybe it was a Michael Jordan or a Wayne Gretzky. Maybe it was a Bruce Lee. It was always these people who they chose to be something, but they didn't just choose to be it. They chose to be the best version or whatever that is. So on yesterday, my, my baby boy, Ian, he graduated from dual immersion Spanish but he took the whole entire kindergarten class online through an iPad. I look back over that year and see how many times I walked into the room and said, Ian, what are you doing? Get back to class. Ian, your teacher's talking to you. Ian, your break's over. Ian, 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 Ian. And he would look at me and say, oh, sorry. Or he, yes, sir. And he would go back. And then at the end of class, he would say, can I play a game on iPad? I said, oh, no, we got to put this thing away. We've been staring at it too long. Let's go play with your friends. And I would watch them playing with their friends out in the sunshine. And I'm thinking, these kids can't go to school together. They can play outside together on the same exact day. It's just, uh, it just really made me think, you know. And But yesterday, I watched him hop out of the car with his mask on, his nice little suit. He's running up to his teachers, and they have a mask on. They have these balloons. It's a beautiful scene. And the song's playing in the background. And the whole time I'm filming, I feel that feeling. You know, you start to choke up a little bit. And I'm like, man, I'm so proud of this kid. But most of all, I see how proud he is of himself. And he sees his teachers almost for the first time in real life. And they run and give him hugs. And he gives them hugs. And he looks at us because his mom's there. And he's holding up his piece of paper. Says he graduated. he, he graduated from kindergarten. And you can see the smile in his eyes because he has a mask on. And then the teacher stepped back and said, here, take your mask off so you can. And his, as soon as the mask falls, you see his teeth just bright, smiling, happy, proud of himself. And I was proud of him. And as he's walking back to the car, he stops at the window and he gives me a high five. And he says, yes. And he gets in, he's just staring at his paper. And I see him in the rearview mirror just looking at it. And you realize that while some of that push may come off one way. It's not the ideal. You know you wanted him to feel that in the end, to look at his paper and know I did that. The world handed me something that I can't imagine. I went to school in kindergarten. You went to school in kindergarten. I believe all of us went to school in kindergarten, and we were not learning 
everything in a learn in a different language. I mean, entirely in Spanish. If I had to take an online language class right now for four or five hours a day, I would be like, whoa, that's that's intense. But he just did that at six years old. But also my daughter in the car, she's nine. And at some point she says, hey, how come we only celebrated him graduating? I didn't get to graduate. I'm in third grade. I say, you're right. We don't have to let the world dictate who we celebrate. We celebrate both of you. So they wanted to go to this place called the Ninja Factory. And I thought about it. I was like, wow, we haven't been here since February of 2020. This is a place they love to go to. These children endured not being able to go to their favorite places, the San Diego Zoo, SeaWorld, many places, even the beach for a while. And then you realize the resilience of your children. You realize the power and the way they just bounce right back because as soon as they were uh, in there and they put their special socks on, they just took off. And it was as if nothing even happened. There was no, wow, I can't believe we made it here. They just took off. I really, really loved that moment. So when we talk about saying no to these children, I think back to my daughter being small and whenever she would do something she should not be doing, you're right, you can't play big in those moments. You get down to the level, you hand her something she could have, would have, or maybe even should have while removing the things she should not. And you you always reserve the no's for real danger. So they know the difference between, you know, later in life when somebody might tell me no, so I won't try. No, no, that's not a real no. A real no is you're about to run into traffic and I grab you. A real no is that something very harsh is about to happen and we stop it. It's not somebody going to tell me no. Who's going to really tell you no? I also thought about if the mother wasn't there, that I can't be a mother. I can be an exceptional father. I can do all I can, but I cannot be a mother. So therefore, some level of mother figure would have to be around to teach the things I cannot teach. And in the same very real sense, even if a mother is on her own, you are not his father. You are not her father. You are a very outstanding mother. And I say that because so often when it gets around this time, at least in my family, I've seen many of the moms say, I'm the mother and the father. You cannot be. You can only be what you are. Just the same as on the mother's day, a father can never say, because I've been a single father before. I do it all the time. You, I'm not a mother. I don't know that part. And I'm lucky to know that there's, <coughs> excuse me, the other side. There's this other aspect where I would play in the park and roll in the grass and play all the games and laugh and we laugh till we cry. Even last night, my daughter was standing over my shoulders like like she was just hanging over my shoulder like a scarf. And she kissed me on the cheek and there's this little candle burning and we're just talking and making up stuff and laughing and laughing. And I realized this little girl taught me love. Like, you think you know love? You don't know love until you know that love. Or maybe you do. I don't know. I can't judge everybody on that one, but I know I didn't. I had the idea, but I knew the truth when I met her. I knew the truth when I met her because she will stay up with me writing. She will stay up with me laughing. She will even try <laughs> to sit everywhere I'm at and she's watching the whole time. So I realized there's nothing I can tell her that I'm not demonstrating. And I only worked away from them for a long time. But then when I started working in front of them, they started saying, daddy, are you going to play with us? Are you going to come watch the movie? Are you, and I realized that there's no balance here. I'm working too hard or I'm playing too much. 
and it's very hard to strike that balance between uh, being there and being where you need to be to make sure they can get where they need to be because I know the rest of life that they haven't got to yet where you're safe because I'm making sure you're safe. And there's problems you never saw. There's harshness that I dealt with. There's things that I made it through just to lay in the grass. There's things I didn't show up to. There's calls from LA I said no to that studio session because I wanted to pick you up from school and take you to the rec center. Do I put it on them? No, these are decisions we must make. Like you said, on the whole vacation on the dude ranch, the son's like, yeah, dad, but you weren't working. That I'm sure made a huge difference. Oftentimes when your kids do the so-called wrong thing, and you ask them from, from eye level, why, why'd you do that? And they say, I don't know. And there's so much truth to that. They haven't been here very long and they're just curious. They want to know. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, instead of teaching so often, sometimes a question is better, but not a question that will lead them to a dead end. A question that will make them think. If they say, dad, I remember Bob Proctor teaching us this uh, in his coaching. He said his son wanted to quit so bad the team. He said, well, you really want to do that? He said, yes, I want to. He said, well, it's your choice. But I tell you this, once you quit, the next time will be even easier. And who knows, you might even become a professional quitter. You'll quit things before you even start. How about that? And the son says, but I, I, don't, I don't want to be that. He said, no, no, no. Think about it. If you quit this, you can quit the next thing and the next. And you'll never have trouble quitting. And you won't even have to come to me next time. You would be a professional quitter. He says, I'm not a quitter. He said, you're not? He said, no, I'm not a quitter. He said, oh, I guess you've made your choice. He said, yeah, you're right. I'm not ever going to quit. I'm going to finish. Even if I don't like it, I'm going to take it to the end because I started it. He said, yeah, it's your choice. You see, the answer res resides in them. And it's more often we're going to learn from them the things we've forgotten than we're going to teach them. We only can really truly teach with our life. So when I said that to my daughter, you may never truly know your father's life. I hope that she knows at least the part she witnessed and that she witnessed me being everything, everything I was born to be, including her father, not just her father. I hope my son, when he looks at me, he told me one day when we were walking, and this is the origin of Alpha 6. He's walking under the trees. I said, let's do a superhero walk. And he's three years old. He's six now. So we start walking, and he's looking up at me. And I look at him. And he's looking at me. I look at him. I said, why are you looking at me? He says, I'm learning how to walk like a superhero. So I stopped walking. And I turned to him. I said, what's your superhero name? He says, Batman get money. <laughs> I said, Batman get the money? What's that mean? He said, well, Bruce Wayne is Batman, and Bruce Wayne get the money. I said, that's true. Bruce Wayne is a billionaire. And then he looks at me. He says, what's your superhero name? Looking dead in his eyes, the words came ringing into my brain. said, Alpha Six, because I am the leader of Jordan, and Jordan is six letters. And somewhere along the way, it got more defined and refined, and it became more powerful. And I realized that was my higher self speaking to his higher self. So that name belongs to my higher self. And I never told a word until I said it here. And that's why it's underneath my face because I'm only speaking from that place. But when we looked at each other, I walked a little taller that day. And he said, Daddy, 
I said, uh-huh. He said, one day I'm going to be you. I said, you're going to be like me? He says, no, I'm going to be you one day. And then I'm going to be your daddy. And I'm going to take care of you the way you took care of me. I said, well, I better be a super great dad because I don't want you to leave me by the window at the nursing home. <laughs> I want you to take good care of me the way I took good care of you. Now, I tell this story because fatherhood didn't begin at being a father, it began at being a big brother. My sister told me on the phone call one day, she said, you've been the only father I've ever had. And she's my sister. She's only two years younger than me. She said, I watched you go in the places that I was never brave enough to go. I watched you stand up where my knees would have been shaken. I watched you catch all kinds of hell and arrows to your chest and your back and your head and still, still stand up again and keep walking. I said, you know, I saw you watching. I knew you were watching. My grandfather, 80-something years old, when I last spoke to him, I told him, I go into every space walking as if I'm 30 feet tall because my grandfather exists. And someone told him no before he began because he was born in 1930-something. I think we were all born for such a time as this. And if we have been blessed even for a time to be a father or father figure to any person, any person, in this world, we have been truly blessed because what can you give besides the wisdom of your soul and keep it for yourself too? There's many things that we can leave, but they say, you know, if you store it up in barns, it will rot. But what about that wisdom that was earned in your bone marrow through the agony of those dark nights of the soul that you kept pushing because they were watching? What about all the things that money can't buy? So your presence is the present in this present in this moment, because we are still here. Luckily, my father's still walking this earth, and every now and then I'll call him, and I will always speak to him as the father I wish he was, never the father that he happened to be. And I'll always be the son that I wish he had instead of the son who's mad at him for who he was not. So if you have a father in this world, whether they are living or gone, do remember, it was parts of that man's life that you never knew. There were struggles he overcame that he never told you because that's just part of the job. That's part of the mission. You don't come back from the war and tell about the battles at all. It's not gonna be on seven o'clock news. It's not gonna be on the front page. You probably get a pair of socks on Sunday, but just know the true gift of being a father was that you were able to be a guardian, a guardian. You're somebody's uh, guardian angel standing there protecting them from things they would never know could have took them out a long time ago. So David, I appreciate all that. I have a whole page of things here, but I do want to leave them because I see so many great fathers here. And one of those fathers is uh, Coach Isaac, if he's still here. I would like him to be able to share something about being a father if he's available. I know he's coaching people at this moment, but Coach, if you're there, can you share something? Yeah, man, I'm here, man. I appreciate it. Um, and David, I caught the the last part of your your uh, your share, but Alpha, thank you, man. Um, you know the thing I love about being a father is just watching watching my daughter and just watching how she grows. You know it's amazing, and you know my situation is my daughter doesn't live with me; she lives with her mother a couple hours away. Um, I don't see her nowhere near as often as I would like to. I'd like to see her every day and I don't see her every day. So, um, 
but every time every time we get together you wouldn't be able to tell that I don't see her every day because she has so much of me so much of my personality she obviously she looks exactly like me which is enough but there was a time um where I was working down in Tennessee and you know when she was born she came four days early and I had to, I was walking into a meeting when I was down in Tennessee, I was walking into a meeting. I was preparing to leave that weekend, but she came four days early and her mother called me and said, Hey, I'm going in. And so instead of walking into my meeting, I said, Hey coach, I got to leave. Got to go to Canada. Baby's coming. So drove 17 hours quick, missed her birth by two hours. Um, but it was, it was one of the most amazing things that I'd ever seen in my life, just seeing a child that that was a piece of me, you know, and as she grows, and she'll be seven this year, and as she grows, I'm just, I'm just continuously amazed, you know, I, I honestly can't say enough, I could talk all day about her, um, but it's just an amazing, it's just an amazing thing, I don't even know how to describe fatherhood, and how to describe having a child, it's kind of like being burned by fire you don't know until you put your hand there um but man it's it's a joy and you know anytime anytime that I'm around her she's completely indulged in me you know and it doesn't matter how long we go without seeing each other physically um but we see each other on FaceTime all the time but once we get together man it's you know it's like those friends you know, you got that friend that no matter how long you go without seeing them, when you get together, you didn't skip a beat. Seems like you were together yesterday. That's what fatherhood is like um, with me and my daughter because of our situation. But I just thank God for the grace and keeping us close in spirit, um, even though we're not close in, in proximity. But yeah, man, I could talk all day about my baby. But yeah, that's her in my picture. Uh, her name's Sophia. And she'll be seven in a month. She'll be seven. And time flies. It's crazy, man. But that's all I got. I don't have anything crazy to say about being a father. It's just, it's the best thing in my life. I just put it that way. So thanks, Alpha. So, Coach, out of all the championships and trophies and adulation, was it not, you know, you see the champion at the end and they hold up the, the trophy, but you know, the moment where you, you pick your daughter up and you spin it and then she's laughing, giggling. Is that not like the greatest thing? Just that sound of laughter. Man, it right. really is. And her laugh, her laugh is just like mine. <laughs> and she, she like, no one in here has really heard my, my laugh laugh when I really get going. But she has that same thing. But you know what the greatest, the craziest moment was when, so when she was born, like I said, I missed the birth. So when I got to the hospital, she was in the, the thing, the baby thing, sleep. And she was wrapped up. She was wrapped up like an egg roll. It was crazy. Like that blanket was so tight and neat. You would have thought like your your pops rolled that blanket up, Alpha. Like it was crazy. And I looked at her <laughs> and the first, thing, the first thing I said was like, that's not real. Like that was the first thing that came out of my mouth when I saw my daughter. I said, that's not real. I didn't say she's not real. It's not. I said that's not real, because she, I I can't I can't explain it. 
But the moment that changed my life, it wasn't seeing her for the first time. It was a couple hours later when she opened her eyes and she made eye contact with me. My world changed. My world changed. So that same feeling, it never leaves. So when I do pick her up and when I see her, when we look each other in the eyes, man, my world changes every single time, man. No doubt about it. We can feel it. So I'm looking at the time and I still want to share this. And usually I'm a, entirely respect the time. I want to respect this moment more than time. Um, when my daughter first started to walk, she's very small. You know how they walk when they first walk, right? They've been drinking beer all night. <laughs> she stops at this flower and she's grabbing at it. And I said, sweet, you know, don't kill the flower. Let's just admire the flower where it's at. Let's smell the flower and say, good morning, flowers. And she said, good morning, flowers. And she gives it a kiss. And just yesterday, she was outside, and my son was running around doing something, and he reached for a flower with his little sword. He's about to chop it. She says, no, 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 no. And he says, why? It's just a flower. She says, it's not just a flower. It's alive, and it'll only be here for the summer. It's only going to be here for right now. And that was such a special moment because she learned that when she was about 13 months, maybe, max. The other day she said, you remember the time when we laid back on the slides looking at the clouds and we saw a turtle and a fish and a this? I said, you remember that? She said, uh-huh. I said, baby, you were like two years old. She said, I never forget it. Just imagine laying on a slide, looking up at the clouds. She'll never forget it. Just being there matters. And closing out, I want to play this record that always reminds me of her. And I'm sure you've heard it before but it's the most perfect song. And then I'll pass it over to Glenn. Everybody, thank you for listening to, if my voice sounds different, it sounds different for a reason. Just listening to that song, it, it, it chokes you up a little bit because you realize that the greatest thing you're gonna do in this life is witness the life of other people grow from what you could have never imagined into these beautiful, remarkable people and that, even if you had the chance to at some point, you know, I understand that everybody's not going to be a parent and situations happen. So 
much respect for everyone in that sense. But I want everybody to remember yourself right now and remember that you too were once this newborn child and you were born absolute. And that only wrong thinking has divided that absolute into pieces and parts that thinks it can't do what it literally can do. So remember that you can. And remember that you are remarkable, remarkable, magnificent, powerful. And everything you could imagine, just realize that your creator dreams something bigger than anything you can imagine. And you can never outdream your creator. I call that creator God. Therefore, I am a God dream. And so are you. This is Breakfast with Champions, the millionaire breakfast table. Brought to us by Mr. Glenn Lundy, if you're there. I'd love to pass it over to you. Yes, sir. Appreciate every one of you. Thank you, Alpha. That's what I'm talking about. Got everybody all up in their fields this morning here on Breakfast with Champions. And what I'd like to do, go ahead and flash those mics. Flash those mics for Alpha, Coach, and all these conversations today. It's been a great, great, great uh, Breakfast with Champions. So what I want to do as we close out, I know that there are a lot of people in this room that are not parents. There are people in this room that will never be parents by choice. There's, there's people that have messaged me and said, Glenn, you guys are always talking about kids. There's some of us. Don't, we don't want no kids. We're not interested whatsoever. And I totally get that. There are a lot of people in this room that don't have kids, won't have kids, and that's great. But everybody in this room has a dad. Everybody in this room has a father. And a lot of us, our fathers maybe were absent or our fathers maybe had a addiction problem or our fathers maybe had their own traumas in their life that led them to be not the, 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 the ideal, not the ideal father. But I want to challenge everybody in this room. I believe that your dad, your father, I believe that in his heart, he wanted exactly what Coach and Alpha and David and everybody have been talking about as dads. I think he wanted to lay on the slide with you and look up at the clouds and see the turtles and, and the frogs and the fishes. I think he wanted to create lifelong memories with you where you and him would ultimately be best of friends that could be apart for a certain amount of time or long amounts of time and come back together in joy and laughter. I think that your father knows that you are a piece of him. An addiction or life or mistakes or problems may have gotten in the way. All of those things may have created a situation where he was never able to fulfill those dreams, those dreams of rainbows and butterflies and lifelong memories. And so I just challenge you with grace and love in our hearts as children of God, that if that's you, if you had a, a strained situation with your father, spend some time in prayer today. Pray for that man. Reach out to that man. Forgive that man. Because I promise, I promise his life and was completely changed the moment you opened your eyes. I promise. 
So I'm going to leave us out on that note. Breakfast with Champions, Millionaire Breakfast Club. I love you all. Thank you for choosing to share this space and time with us. It means the absolute world to me. We'll be, we'll be back again tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. to do this all over again on Breakfast with Champions. Have an incredible day. Thank you for joining us on Breakfast with Champions. If you want to catch the live version, you can follow us on Clubhouse and listen from 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, Saturday 6 to noon, and Sundays with our 111 Sunday service. Make sure you're keeping up with Breakfast with Champions and getting yourself a seat at the table.